The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Overview, episode 59. I'm Chamian V, and joining me today are ZP. What's up, buddy? Going good, going good. Uh, glad to be here. I like the suit. <laughs> uh, the, the suit is a, a new suit I got today, where I was actually just trying out before the show, and I'm just like, actually, I'll leave it on. But uh, before anyone is afraid, I'm not necessarily going down the full Frodan path here yet. <laughs> Say, I, right now, of course, uh, two months from now, if I show up in a yellow and red suit, well, I was a liar. Well, I appreciate the professionalism <laughs> of, of showing up to the show all dressed up and stuff. <laughs> but then we've got Flame here, who's dressed more like me, you know, with the t-shirt and everything. What's up, buddy? I mean, I had a dress shirt on, but I took it off. <laughs> now I feel like I made a mistake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, and then we want to welcome to the show first timer Brad or uh, Pure, who I've been trying to get on the show for, and Brad can confirm this. I don't know how long now. Over a year? Is it over a year? The, yeah, yeah the over a year. You stream in the afternoon, then you right. have scrims in the late afternoon, and then when you're done at ten o'clock at night, the last thing you want to do is talk to uh, me. I get it. Or I, like I get it. <laughs> I too had a T-shirt on, and when I saw ZP. I wasn't sure what was going down, so I actually just put on like a button-down shirt. So. <laughs> all, all types of things going on right now. It just makes you feel more professional when you're dressed up, right? <laughs> all, right. all right, guys. So we got a lot to plan today. And those of you wondering where Ben has been, had something pop up again. Busy guy right now. So he'll be back next week, though. Uh, of course, having Pure on for the first time, we're going to get his, uh, I guess, perspective on everything going on, particularly with Splice and um, you know, just recent news there. And then we're going to go into lots of different news that's been popping up, uh, team news, as well as some events popping up, some job openings at Blizzard, uh, and then finish things up with uh, some Q&A at the end from a few of you guys that asked some questions this past week by emailing to the overview at chainmanv.tv. Uh, but let's start off with a little quick catch up with you, Pure. And, um, you know, recently there was the announcement from Splice that they let the entire roster go, including yourself. And just want, yeah, just want to get an update on that. Like, how are you guys uh, doing right now? How did you feel, you know, with the news and everything? Uh, we're doing pretty well. There was a weird period after the boot camp as we were over in Cape Cod for about two months doing a, you know, a quote unquote boot camp. Mm -hmm. And we were all happy to get back home. And once we got back home, we kind of knew that there was... OWL, like important meetings going on on a weekly basis. So every single week that passed, we kind of had a, a Wednesday, like a D-Day type of thing where we we're going to learn some information or in this case, uh, potentially get dropped. So it was a weird period, but we're doing okay now. Graceful is getting married, I think, or is like fully oh. engaged, something to that effect. Remix is thinking about going back to school full time. He's always been going to school, but he only had one class. Mm -hmm. And people are forming scrim teams and stuff like that just to keep playing and potentially looking at other rosters and other uh, types of things. So, okay, we, so we did okay. So no plan to stay together as a, a unit? Uh, we, were, we were talking about it. Mm -hmm. It's a interesting group of guys and people's expectations without an OWL spot mm -hmm. and people's expectations without getting paid a salary tend to change. You know, you have the ability to play with almost anyone. 
you have the ability to take your time and figure out what other players are out there and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about it. We haven't really made a decision on it, but I know some people are scrimming. Some people are trialing. Some people are reaching out to other people for uh, potentially a trial for them. So we haven't totally decided that. So I guess one thing that seems clear is that even if you guys are playing together to some extent as a core, if we were to see the remnants of splice playing in tournaments that could be coming up, we should expect it, some changes to be coming in in terms of the overall player roster. Where it won't be the exact same six that you guys had when you were with Splice. Definitely, we only had five. We never really had an Anna. Uh, we dropped Mo like three weeks into the into the boot camp, and we were trialing Dino, Dogman, Shake, and we basically only had five. But if you do see a roster. It'll probably be different. I, I'm not playing with two of the guys who I know are working with another roster. And possibly, possibly with the, the Rivalcade Rumble coming up, you might see a roster out there. And I actually think with the OMM, you're going to see one of our guys trialing for one of the teams. I think it's the, they're going to be in the OMM. I'm not 100% sure. So you'll probably see at least one roster or two rosters with at least a couple of the players. So... One thing I wanted to bring up here, which I think is sort of the untold story in Overwatch esports, where players or fans tend to focus on the teams that are doing really well, right? The teams that are getting top three, top four every time. But you don't have a scene with only the top four teams. You need other teams playing and contributing. And not every team, despite the best of intentions, is able to get to the very top. You have been in Overwatch since pretty much the beginning, and you were part of Splice during a whole lot of build and rebuild type scenarios what goes through your mind as a player when you're just rebuilding and getting perhaps decent scrim results but not getting fully to the top i guess can you walk us through the thought process that goes on as you deal with all that that's such a million dollar question uh <laughs> flame who's here right now is was on the team and was aware of one of the iterations of what we did and so he he knows as well how hard it can be i would say well, I, and I started in closed beta with just some friends, Platinum, DeFox, Blackstar. We just casually played. And then I played with the LG NRG squad, which was Seagull, Enigma, mm -hmm. Milo, yeah. etc. The hardest part is that this is a really tough game and things don't always go well, whether it's a tournament or just in practice. And the makeup of the six individuals really wears on the team. So um, I'll just the best way to do it is an example. Uh, with Flame about a month, a month and a half into playing, one particular person on the team who was instrumental in wanting to play with him kind of flipped how he wanted to do things and was saying that he's not sure if he wants to play with him. So immediately you get into that problem of, okay, you have a player on the team that doesn't want to play with another guy on the team. Is it something that you can work through, have them communicate the issues and you know maybe get a coach and go through that? Or is this something that you really need to nip in the butt right away? And it's 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 always easier to look at look back at it in 2020 because Flame Matt knows he has like uh, uh, tons and tons of experience in terms of the an analytical side of the game, and also as a player, he's very good. So at that time, he left Splice because it just it wasn't really working out in that department because there was a mix of emotions about how to do things. But like the, the heart of your question comes down to you need short-term results just to make people feel feel good, like they're accomplishing something. Whereas if you're just grinding and grinding and grinding for mediocrity, 
that can really set you back psychologically and I guess we, just psychologically. Yeah, so we had Jake on, I don't know, maybe a month ago or five weeks ago. And I remember one of the things that he talked about was, uh, you know, at the time, of course, LGBT was having success. And you know, that's one of the main reasons we were, you know, interviewed him and was talking to him. But one of the things that he did say is that even when they weren't having success, they had this you know, collective bond, you know, like the six of them, that they would just keep continuing to grind yeah. it away because they had this confidence that it's not a mechanical issue. You know, we're definitely good enough from the standpoint of aim and, and shooting. So it's just all about teamwork and it's about iterations and really hashing those out and getting our communication channels all, you know, worked out and it will come over time. So how do you feel about that? You know, like, is that really the, the goal is just to get six guys that are on the same level and skill wise we're there and working, you know, kind of finding the magic there. It's a good question because when we're, I know we're not talking about OWL yet, but some of the rumors of OWL is that sports teams will be getting into the game and then they're going to have to bridge the gap between how to make a team in video games versus how to make <laughs> yeah. a team in sports. So they're going to be probably high. They'll probably be hiring some gamers and then probably hiring some people who have some experience with the realm of gaming. And I always make fun of the people who say, Hey, let's just get like the, the top six SR players. We'll get six DPS players. It'll be some of the best Anna players. We'll put them on a squad. And anyone who really says that has no experience whatsoever or should not be in control of making a roster. Right. Because what you're looking for is a core. What you're looking for is synergy. What you're looking for is people who can deal with the bad times. And I, this was something I had to work with baby Bay right away was that when there's bad times, you try not to get low. Like that's one of the hardest things to do with players. But with him, it was when there was good times when like when good things were happening the trick is not to let that player get too excited about it. Hmm. You, it's not like the greatest of moments. You need to focus on what's next. What else do they use? What else do we have? What's the next plan? Like, it's okay. You just dominated, but we need to dominate the next play. So when I was working with Baby Bay, I was trying to get him to do like not as high highs. So then when there were lows, the lows weren't as low. Right. So going back to Jake, it's, it's about getting a core that can deal with the problems. And if you don't have a core, your team's going to be dealing with yeah. a lot of uh, tough stuff. So, Jake, oh, can I chime in? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, was gonna, I was actually going <laughs> to throw. I was, I was gonna say, like, I wanted to chime in before, but um, I was going to throw so it to like, you anyways. Here, you know, so. so I was asking. So, like, he was talking before even ending now about like the core thing. It's like back. I mean, it was a year ago. Actually, it's kind of crazy how fast that time went. That like the yeah. split, like that splice team was like now, like May of 2016. But um. Like finding the core is so hard and it was even harder back then because everyone had different opinions on how the game was supposed to be played. And like when we were scrimming, there was still like no hero limit and there were like all these different ways to think about how you were going to run the game. Like I remember there were times where we were talking about like, oh, we really need a Reinhardt here, but our Reinhardt players on Winston, but we should probably get a Reinhardt. Like, and we were at the point at that, like at that point in time, we were even thinking like, oh, maybe one of our, DPS, you just go Reinhardt. Like we weren't even really <laughs> right. assigning roles to each other at that point. Right. And like now I think the game's starting to like come back to that in a weird way where like you're seeing teams start flexing maybe their tank to like Tracer and stuff. I mean, it hasn't happened yet. And I think a lot of players view the game differently. But like when I viewed the game back then, it was all like, oh, everyone should just be able to play everything. 100%. But now it's like very specific. And finding players that all have the same mindset of like how ults work, how timings work when to press advantages, whether an ult was good or not, is, like, actually really hard. Um, even currently, like, one person might think the 
aimbot was great or the tag Pfizer rather. And other, someone else would be like, why'd you waste that? You know, so there's so much in this game that I think isn't inherently obvious. And especially when you're making a team, like comms are a very big part. And I know for a fact that like the comms, even at some pro teams are really bad comparatively to like what they can be. And it's so hard to find that perfect balance for your team. And I think that's where it struggles because I mean, Brad's right. Like it's not really about who's good and who's not, you know, like everyone's good in their own way in some weird way. Like the top of Overwatch is pretty, I don't want to say it's set, but like players are coming in, but everyone has a very different play style. And the, like the actual hardest part is finding a way to get everyone on that same page. And I think that like, that's the biggest struggle right now for every team. Absolutely. So there's one follow-up question that I really wanted to get here that sort of cuts through a lot of the themes that were brought up, uh, that you brought up, Brad, and uh, what Flame kind of touched on here. But so one th- sort of continuing question the Overwatch scene is when you're making a team, do you think that teams are too quick perhaps to go for roster changes where you mentioned mm-hmm. the part of the stress of the team is going, well, gee, maybe one player on the team doesn't want uh, player X on the team where they're looking for other options. Or they really want to play with someone else. Do you think that teams would be better when they're sort of in the middle of the pack and trying to go up of really just setting some sort of uh, ground rules and saying, look, we're not really looking to replace anyone here. Guys, focus on what we have. Because it does feel like you've had a lot of teams in Overwatch, uh, not just Splice, but other teams that sort of get into this continual trend of replacing players, replacing players, replacing players. And eventually, I feel like you get to a point on teams where you're not even looking for how to improve the unit. You're just sort of going, well, who's the next scapegoat that we need to remove and put in on the team to suddenly reach the top? It's 100% correct. And I'll just go through what happened with Splice because Splice is one of the, you know, the five teams that probably went through the most changes uh, or the most iterations with with their lifespan. And it started with Black. Uh, we started with Black Star, Flame, Clockwork. It's so far back, like we were always looking for a sixth player because we picked up a player by the name of Kozen, who we just handpicked from TF2, and then we taught him the game. And they decided to go play tennis. So then we were using DAC. Wow. And we were looking for so there's a anyway. So so we had the original roster, and there was a couple internal issues which made us lose a core member. And then from losing the core member, you're you you limit it. so instead of it just being flame me and clockwork, it became me and clockwork, and and then eventually what happened there after about I don't know how how long but NRG after they were no, it's actually before Korea NRG started hitting up clockwork consistently to replace I guess it was to replace God or takes God's spot so when I lost clockwork that was the one of the hardest things not because of you guys think he's an incredible player he's a good player he has lot lots to work on but he's a good player it was the issue that we, i lost a core member so when i lost clockwork and there was no more flame there was just no core it was just me so it's like being out out in the woods alone so it's pretty tough but the uh, after what happened to clockwork was that we were actually looking for a tank and this is one thing i'm sure you guys can talk about i know matt probably knows more than you guys or more than you Chanman and zp but it's hard to find tanks in North America. Very, very hard. And a lot of tanks are too passive. Uh, I wouldn't say that most tanks are too aggressive. Being really aggressive is an incredible thing. But we couldn't find a tank. Papa Smurf uh, had like committed to his job. Splice was thinking about getting a gaming house. We couldn't play with Papa Smurf. It just You can't have a gaming house and then someone who gets off of work at 7 o'clock every day, something to that effect. So we couldn't find a tank. 
And then what we started doing was we started looking for European players. It was like, okay, we can't find a tank in North America. So we found Twitty and we played with Twitty. Twitty was great. And we created like a European-esque roster, which was pretty good. So taking a step back to your question about the balance between cutting somebody and working with the core, I really think it all comes back to you keeping the core and making sure that that's like something like standard because if you keep the core, you can replace the other people and like the mindset and the play style of the team stays the same. You, well, can, you can look at complexity. Sorry, you can look at complexity mm-hmm. with Nicholas, TJO, Torque, TJO, and they were friends with Shake from the get-go. And they're still a squad, but now complexity dropped them. So I guarantee you, you'll see a Nicholas, TJO, and a Torque, TJO roster in the future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the goal is to have a core of six, though, right? Like, I'm not just have a core of a few people and have expendables. It's not real. It might not be realistic, but that is the 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 uh, objective is to have these, you know, six guys that trust each other, know that you're not going to blame that person after, you know, one or two things, or maybe ever. You know, maybe you you just it's never that type of blame. It's and I I would think that's, that's the a slightly goal. naive because it's competitive yeah. environment with mm-hmm. money and it, it's just the way it goes. People, mm-hmm. the tempers and pressures, all that type of stuff. It's just natural for yeah. people to yell at each other and people to burn out, people to quit, people to get cut. That's just that's sports. That's esports. Yeah. But um, a great example, which you were bringing up, Chan Man, you can look at Immortals. Immortals has mm-hmm. yeah they've kept like the same five guys. The only thing they've changed, they changed their Lucio back in the day to Verbo. And I don't have they the only the other thing was their tank, which I forgot who they dropped. Do you guys remember who they dropped? Because they didn't have it was Nomi. chance. The, there was chance. Chance went from playing for Immortals to, to becoming their coach, yeah. and then they I brought in right. Nomi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. So basically, what ZP was bringing up, they had chance, and then I don't. Does anyone know if it was that they needed a coach and Chance wanted to do it, or they wanted to put Nami in that position? It could have been a mix of both. I don't know the full internals of how that went down. I mean, I know they're obviously pretty happy with Chance. It's worked out right now. (laughs) And and they're happy where things are going. Uh, Let me ask you this, though. And we're sort of establishing the importance of a core. But at what point do you think a team should look for a replacement here? Do you think it's one of those cases where teams perhaps look for minor upgrades or major upgrades? Like, throw out a random example here. Let's say your DPS player is pretty good. But there's a transcendent DPS player like... I don't know. Let's take Defran, for example, because he's a player that came out of nowhere in recent times. Really good. If you have a Defran that's available, that is very arguably 30% better than your current top DPS. Do you think that is a more justifiable upgrade than some of the other things we've seen where teams sort of mess around with swapping up players that aren't really noticeably better than each other from the outside in? There might be other internals that go into that, but do, do you think there should be some sort of idea from perhaps a coaching perspective that if you go to replace a player, you need to have a dramatic upgrade to justify all the team turmoil that you're going to be dealing mm-hmm. with. Sure. Yep. Another example is Silk Thread with Denial or X Denial, where they had Jolson, who they were improving with, with Jolson, for like progressing pretty well. But then they picked up Silk Thread for a tournament or two, and they just dominated. They looked like a whole different team, in my opinion. So whew, it's a tough question. But the you actually answered your question within the question, it's about a coach, in my opinion. I think that you need to have neutral eyes looking at everything that's going on because as a player in a perfect world, you're just supposed to be focusing on what you're supposed to do and the uh, how it interconnects into what the team is doing. And so if you have a coach who's always listening to the comms, if you have a coach who's always looking at play and who's consistent, who's not consistent, 
when they have their certain squad, they have to, you know, they have to sharpen their pieces or use their pieces to the best of their ability. But when there's an opportunity, like you said, for the, uh, the proverbial defran, just the top two DPS in the world, whatever you want to call it, I think it's up to the coach or I would say it's up to the coach to talk to the team and say, hi, um, we know we've been having issues in this department. We've tried to work on it in this ways, uh, in this way or in, in that way. And right now there's actually a couple free agents who've become available who potentially could help us in this department. So how do you guys feel as a team or as a group? Is this something that you want to work on, work at in this way or that way? Or would you actually like to trial him and see if it actually corrects some of the issues? And well, this goes, go oh, sorry. Is no. that the, so I'm, I'm thinking of like the future, right? Whenever we, we will have these professional teams and we have coaches and, you know, for the most part, I look at, let's just say per, just traditional sports and just per, those professional teams. The coach makes all the decisions. I mean, th- this isn't like, hey, guys, you, what do you guys think? You want to have some input on it and, and to kind of tell us, what, you know, what's going on here? It's not like that at all. The coaching staff basically right. is this committee that makes all of those decisions. And in a lot of ways, it's a great thing to not have the players, in, you know, input into this. I don't know if that works here in esports. But I know it works in the the sporting, or at least the sports uh, arena. Majority of coaches in real world sports have experience from the actual game, mm-hmm. and uh, Flame is like a an expert on this. There's you there's not many coaches, and this is why you look at Chance. You can look at um, legit RC for selfless. In my opinion, the teams that have the best coaches aren't the most organized or the ones really able able to like deal with like kids and like the problems right now it's in my opinion it's actually having a coach who has in-game experience and knows what the most important part of the the game is because focus fire there's teams who work on focus fire for weeks and they go into a tournament and then when the moment they need the focus fire at the end of king's row in the middle of (laughs) overtime they just drop their correct ults people will go silent crickets and it's mental that's why, oh, sorry, something just fell. But if you actually look <laughs> at uh, the the Korean video from Apex, they were doing that's a real thing. It might be a partial meme, but a little interesting story is that when we were doing European splice to Kungarna, when we were actually trialing the Kungarna players, we always had issues prior to that with focus fires. We worked on it with Moffat. We worked on it with Graceful. And it just didn't work. We couldn't do it. We had Graceful on Hog. Your Hog can't be the guy Focus Fire calling. And so we wanted to be Moffat because Moffat was Tracer in 76. But then that always didn't work. We just were terrible at it. We we lost matches because in the proper moment where we needed to, needed to close stuff out, we couldn't Focus Fire. It was either the wrong target or no one would commit. But when we actually picked up Kungarna or when we were trialing with Kungarna, Michael, like right off the bat, was the Focus Fire caller. And it was incredible, like a huge difference. So mm-hmm. going so, back, I, I want to direct this to flame here. Cause I think flame should have some good insight on it. Is that so flame? One of the things that kind of got touched on there was the idea of getting a good coach. But the problem is for many teams is that who do you, how do you get a good coach right now in overwatch? Because you have the tension that you sort of have a chicken in the egg problem, right? Where a good coach, many people would want the coach to have experience, but how do you get experience without going into the coaching role? What is the trouble for coaches, both in convincing an organization and the players playing under them to follow the game plan, even if they might not agree with it? 
I mean, this is a this is a loaded question, but it's there's a huge problem, I think, and it's not so much an esports problem. I guess it's like a entire industry or just sporting in general where people have to be like leaders in general as human beings to coach, I think, and you have to be able to deal with people's like nonsense and like garbage outside of the game. And there's not a lot of people I think that can fit that bill right now. And on top of that, I would say that one of the bigger problems that I have personally with the current state of things is that the coaches are being brought in after the fact to try to like salvage problems. And it's like, it'll work maybe, but the respect isn't there in some weird way because the players existed before. And it's kind of like, I mean, I make this analogy, but when you're in high school or elementary school and you have a teacher for the entire year, and then maybe they get sick and you have a sub. Like, nobody really respects the sub, you know? Like, everyone really respected that teacher that they had. And then the sub just kind of gets bullied on a little bit or, like, ignored or treated as if they're not as good as the teacher that was there. And I think that that's yeah. kind of the same problem that exists in real sports where, or in esports too, where you almost want the teacher or the coach there immediately and helping to make the team or just making the team themselves. And then the players think, like, okay, this is the coach's vision. This is what the coach wants. Like, the coach is my leader. So, so, so to cut through that. and be more direct, what you're advocating here is that it's not really ideal to have a coach come in and coach a team core that was previously uncoached because they already have their own power structure and how they go about things. Whereas if you bring the coach in from the beginning, the coach is already involved in saying oh. the vibe of the entire team and you don't suddenly have a power shift of, all right, so you guys were working without a coach for four five months, but now this coach is going to come in and tell you what to do. You don't yeah, agree. Yeah, I mean, the only person I think that's having any success right now in that role, I mean, you can make LeJarc and chance, but they were like kind of part of the team at some point. Mm-hmm. So there's like a weird shift there where I think they already had respect from the players. Um, but Bishop is probably like one of the few yeah. people that just came in. I mean, he's obviously having some troubles. So we, like C9 is going through roster swaps. They've made multiple roster swaps since he's joined. So it's obviously like him. Like that's him putting his views and his input into things and like maybe making some decisions. But that's, I mean, like those players that come in now, there's like what three C9 players that won't have existed without Bishop. So like those three players will immediately have him under control, you know? So it's well, well over time, it feels like if you're, coaching a team long enough, you will have enough churn that eventually you do get to set the culture because well, this, so that, yeah, everyone is that's true. Exactly. That, that yeah, happens, for sure. That happens everywhere. Like we we're talking about sports totally happens in sports. And you know, you have in college sports, particularly college football, for instance, right? When a coach gets fired, they recruited all these players that are on the roster right now. And those, those players came and committed to the school because of that coach. So when a new coach right. comes in and this is similar in esports, you have to, get them on board. You have to sell them on what you're bringing, you know, what your philosophies are and whether the players buy in or not is going to determine how successful you are. Uh, so I do agree that it's easier to accomplish that if you start the team with, you know, this coach already in place, but like we saw with Bishop, I mean, Bishop, I feel like those players are still, at least the core players are still buying into what he's doing. And I don't know, I haven't heard that much dissension from that standpoint yet. And so that's obviously happened there, and that's kind of cool to see. They haven't quite experienced the success quite yet, but um, it's good to see that, that that model is working for them. Well, I mean, that's all relative, right? Yeah. Like, it's not, you could argue that it's not working. Yeah, okay, sure, sure. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, long-term, you would say it should work, but I think back to the mm-hmm. point or what CG was asking, I think that right now we're at a really good time mm-hmm. for these orgs to start making some managerial decisions. 
agree. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been approached by orgs to coach or manage, but some with teams already. Like, I wouldn't want to be in that position. I don't think a lot of coaches would want to be in that position. I think, like, back to what Brad was saying, or, like, what we were saying about Splice before, where it comes down to, like, game styles. Like, someone just needs to be the one that's saying, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it. If you don't yeah. like it, you're out. You know, right. like, yeah, it's kind of that. It should really be that straightforward. And you should, like, be able to pick yep. your teams that are going to respect you and do what you say and, like, I mean, it sounds like totalitarian, but at the end of the day, like you need it's, leadership and you yeah. need someone that's going to be the voice of reason and be the axe at the end of the day for the players. So I think we're at a good time right now with all these free agents for orgs to start maybe investing in management more so than just players. But I guess we'll see what happens as time goes so on. Here, no here's a question for you. Here's a question for you guys. How much of it right now has to do with the owner? Like the owner really, you know, bringing the message that, hey guys, this guy I hire for coach will make all the decisions, you know, like, and that's it, you know, and whatever he decides, whatever roster changes he makes, that's, that's how it goes. Uh, compared to somebody who's, you know, a little bit more of a, you know, player friendly type of owner who's, you know, trying to please people and doing that sort of thing. Are we seeing that type of dynamic right now? And is, is that an issue? Is there even a single team that really has the situation where the owner has a right-hand man, which either is a manager or a, I guess, Tempo Storm, right? Like Tempo Storm yeah. at Robert, Robert Del Papa, mm -hmm. like working with Mini to build a roster. But I don't know of many teams that have an owner who's has a coach or a manager and is telling them to like build the team. It's all for you. You can do it the way you want to do it. It depends on where you put your investments. I mean, you could argue that, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting too when you start bringing sports owners into this because they have hugely different outlooks. I mean, you look at Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, like Bill Belichick can take players and make them good. Like he always, he had like that quote. It's like, I don't go for the best talent. I go for the best team. And like, as long as you're, as long as you have that strong leadership, I mean, even in like high school sports, like if you have coaches that you respect and like, will put your neck out for like, that's really, that's like a really valuable thing, I think. And it all comes down to like how it was brought up to you or how it was given to you. I don't know if it's so much the owner's problems as much as it is like, I guess it is their philosophy, but I don't know if it has I'll, to be like them being like, Oh, I'm going to bestow all this on you and the players are going to know. It should be like, you're the, you pick the team, you're in charge here. And then like you delegate your responsibility. Well, I'll, I'll give an example but, of uh, like well, the opposite that happens in sports, like Jerry Jones. Like you gave this example of Bill Belichick, like a Jerry Jones. <laughs> He makes all the decisions, dude. <laughs> like in the end, he might have a general manager in place. He might have a head coach in place, but the guy makes all the decisions. And you know that's that's very clear. You know, and and it just takes the author the authoritative power away from the coach and well, how the players look at it. Well, without going super, super far away, because there are more Overwatch-specific things to ask up here, here, but I will note that sure. Bill Belichick's situation at the Patriots is unique in sports in the idea that because he's had success, it also gives him more room here where he doesn't have to defend right. himself and, going, and go, I'm doing this because of this. He could go, I'm doing this in the best interest of the team, and he has a track record of success that gives him that leeway. Even if you were to find the Bill Belichick of Overwatch coaching and put him on a team he would still have to really be worried about the PR optics about certain moves he makes until he has a track record of success because you don't want to have a case where maybe you have a bad month or a bad two to three months where even if you're doing the right plan, the results aren't there immediately and you end up getting canned because you don't have enough time to get to your long-term setup. So all these things are factors in coaching and 
how you want to set things up as a coach, because when you're newer, you do have to worry a little bit more about short-term results, even if you do have the bigger long-term plan in your mind. So what's the metric metric for a good coach or a good manager? Like, how do would you actually figure out, like if they could speak eloquently and give you like put their <laughs> plan on a piece of paper and yeah. they, they look good, they're good on camera. They know how to like convince people of stuff that doesn't make them a good coach. So like I I'm throwing this at you three. It's, how would it's, you actually find I, a good coach? I think the metric is, well, I mean, to find one or to, well, the question, I, is your question what, um, what is, how to what find one find or one. what the result of a good coach is? Well, I know what the result of a good coach is. It's like consistent progress moving forward and stability. But like, so you look at, you have CMUS with uh, NRG. Like, how, do we even know if CMUS is good at like, like, do we contribute the energy results to Simus as a manager and like a coach, whatever he's doing, or is he actually doing an incredible job behind the scenes? And we don't know that, but energy not doing well is because of the players. I'm just using him as yeah. an example. No, that's a good I example. I don't know if he's good. So like, how would you actually like the even better example? So you got flame, incredible analyst, great player. Okay. So teams are coming to him asking about coaching or managing. How does, how does the, the person coming to him about being a manager know that Matt is a good would be a great manager for them. Maybe he wouldn't be, maybe he'd be an incredible manager. So like, how would you actually figure that out? I would say you would have to use a mix of evaluation tactics where you, of course, talk to the coach you're talking with and see, do they have good ideas that you agree with? And that would require from the owner perspective that you also have educated yourself sufficiently about the game to where you have some idea of, all right, does this person know what they're talking about? And then B is that you still have to look at results no matter what. You yeah, have to look I mean, at how much power have I given this coach? How much authority has he had to make changes with the team? And then has he been able to get it done? And there's no way of getting away from the results part there, where if in the NFL, you could have the most eloquent coach ever that is coming up with great ideas. But if they have three losing seasons in a row, they're going to get fired. It's, the problem yeah. with esports is that the idea of a season, of course, is much more condensed. <laughs> right. Esports lives in its own like hyper compressed time span where you don't have a year or two years to write the ship your video game might not last for two years which in overwatch's case overwatch will certainly last more than that but even then in, in video games you're dealing with a more compressed timetable so coaches don't have the time that they do in other traditional sports to really show results i guess is a good way of putting it yeah so yeah there, i mean i guess to build off that though i would say that it's all about the mentality of the players too. Like, I mean, you could argue that some high school coaches are, I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep going back to high school because that's like the most familiar coaching that I have in my brain. But like, you wouldn't know if a coach was good, um, even if they lost, you know, like if a team makes it deep, but the players feel like they let the coach down, that's like very different than the coach feeling like he let the team down. And that's like a very internal struggle that I think isn't always going to be apparent. And I think that if you were the owner of, the Giants and you were going to cut Tom Coughlin, you would ask the players first, like, how do you guys feel about him? Is he like, is he the problem, you know? And that's like a very deep rooted, loaded conversation to have where I'm not really sure. Like I agree results are important, but I wouldn't harp on them so much, especially in short term. Um, I mean, especially it's now that we're coming into owl, like some teams are just going to flop season one, you know, like oh, it's going to happen. And that's part of the, it's, ecosystem like people are supposed to flop and like get back on their feet and you see who rebounds right. and stuff and like some players might have way better talent that carries them in season one but then season two the team that was scrappy season one is now like really well refined and their team works great 
and maybe their coach gets them like to the top. There's so much to talk about there, I guess. And there's a lot of different perspectives that aren't actually always going to be that easy to get out. Like if a, like if the players are letting down the coach, then is it the coach's fault? Like, yeah, how would yeah, you yeah. know that? You know, I don't know. And I think it, it is a combination of those two factors. Like, I think it's culture in the locker room or culture just on the team here, as well as results. And I would say with the results, it's more potential results. You know, like, what do you see? If you see it climbing and the players are still happy, then that coach is safe. But once that potential, you know, I, w- I would say stops and the results are the same, they're not getting in the playoffs or whatever, then even if the, the players are happy, and again, we've seen this in, you know, college with like Les Miles recently, and I even saw it at Texas with, with Mac Brown to a degree, or just uh, Charlie Strong to a degree. And I mean, you have to get rid of the coach, even if the players love the coach and the players think that they're better men because of the coach and all that stuff, it still comes down to results. And the reason it comes down to that and and having the potential results being plateaued and and making a decision that way is because it's a relative thing. It's not like there's, you know, if there are other candidates that can potentially get you to the next level, then I don't see anything wrong with doing that. Now, where we're currently at, that might not be the case, but in the future, hopefully there are more and more options, you know, as Overwatch eSport grows. And then, you know, that kind of decision will be a little bit more clear for this, for a lot of the owners and general managers. Right now, it's not. Right now, it's very murky. I think a lot of people have to compromise with a lot of things. You know, some people just don't want to have to deal with craziness, you know, from, from the locker room. So they're willing to sacrifice results for a more stable team because there are other things going on like streaming and advertising and things like that too, in in terms of the team. Uh, So it's very murky right now, but it should get clearer and better as time goes on. Yeah. Uh, So let's talk about OWL and we'll kind of kind of transition from, you know, just kind of interview with you to uh, just everybody's thoughts. Um, you know, OWL, I think maybe even like last week or maybe right the day after last week, it you know, became a, obviously a big topic just because the, the $20 million buy-in, you know, was released or at least uh, some was reported. And, you know, Robert Kraft's name came up, Stephen Ross's came up, you know, Blizzard coming out with their own statement saying that some of those things might not be true or some things aren't true. Uh, but when I get your overall take, we do know, or at least we're confident that the buy-in is $20 million at this point. And Pure, you you felt the results, or at least maybe Splice, um, even though Splice said they didn't make a decision like that, we are seeing other teams like Splice making a decision to take a step back from Overwatch. Not just leaving Overwatch for good, but taking a step back and, and revisiting later. So when I get your, uh, just everybody's opinions on, on um, you know, how just the the reactions to this kind of news as well as how everybody is reacting to it uh flame why don't i have you start first (laughs) okay um i guess i'm more of the unpopular opinion when it comes to a lot of it there's so a lot of people are complaining i guess or they're just outraged by the 20 million and like how do you get to this valuation and i saw people saying things like oh you could buy all three of these orgs for that much money blah 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 but I think that Blizzard's plan is so big, like it's actually incredibly large and the scale of it is something bigger than I think anybody is even really prepared for. But the money kind of makes sense. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend that I understand the valuation metrics, but when it comes to it being ridiculously high, I think that their expectations are also equally ridiculously high. And I remember sitting down and them talking about like how they wanted it to almost mimic like a sports league and like almost Mm -hmm. be an NFL. So when you compare it to like, 
StarCraft or Counter-Strike or even Dota where it's like majors and small tournaments. It's like going to be so much more than that to them. And I think that they're even like going to start pushing for like billboards and jerseys and like getting esports or Overwatch stuff into sports stores and like all there's so much networking and there's so much there's so many different crazy ideas. And I mean, they're crazy, but they can happen, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think that it's important that whatever vision they have is what they stick to. I mean, you don't really want a lot of flip-flopping. They've been pretty adamant about their views. I mean, like you're starting to even realize now that once Overwatch League starts, it's going to feel like none of this even mattered in some weird way. <laughs> yeah, right. Like the game, like the game really still doesn't feel like it came out yet for some of us because <laughs> it's still like Overwatch League was supposed to be like that big moment. And I think that like that's how they feel and I think that that's how it's been kind of portrayed to us like okay let us handle it we'll see what we can like we have a plan we're going to do this that and the other thing I mean the fact that the orgs are dropping is really disheartening in some way but I think the blizzard's more focused on this really large sustainable long-term ecosystem that won't fail and will have the correct support I mean people were talking about the article about how oh we're going to sell a team and we're going to take 25% of the cut like that's just incentive to never sell and they want people that are going to come in and not sell and stick to their guns and create this massive league. Like, right. I can't imagine what it felt like to start to create the NFL or to create the MLB. It was probably like a huge undertaking. It was probably crazy at the time. I mean, obviously, I wasn't alive, but that's kind of what they want to <laughs> do. Weren't alive. And it's, it's yeah, like years it's ago. outlandish, but it's it's doable. You know, like there's a dream there, and you can like make teamwork makes the dream work. You know, and get the, yeah. So to get word on this, I. As far as this goes, I feel like we are dealing with very incomplete information and people are it's we're on a gigantic jump to conclusions, Matt, right now, especially as we are in a transitionary period where people are basically coming to very grand assumptions on how things are going to work off of very little public information. And if you think about the nature of some of the leaks that we've been getting that have been going out, think about who is has the most incentive to leak some of the things that are coming out here, especially if it has a negative trend. Well, it's people that for whatever reason, feel like they're not getting the proper end of whatever negotiations might be going on. You're not getting the full story of what is going on behind the scenes. So I do feel like there's been somewhat of a bad boogeyman that's been painted in regards to overwatch league stuff, particularly in recent times. I think people should have a little bit more faith that things will be done pretty well when they come out like it's one of those things where hearing Pierre's perspective will be interesting depending on what he wants to say uh, what he may know or feel comfortable in sharing <laughs> but I, I do feel that people have been very quick to judgment over things where there clearly is not a complete informational picture out there and it's we're just in this time period where there's clearly transitionary stuff going on but it does make it a little bit slower on the news cycle, which makes it more likely for things to get legs that might not even be things at all. So I guess for me and talking about Overwatch League stuff is that I really feel like people shouldn't make grand judgments on where things are going based on a few dribs and drabs of information we get here and there, where even if it is, let's say that some of the information is accurate, you're still not getting the full context and picture behind it. One piece of information that could come across as perhaps a little bit insane or not super flattering might actually make complete sense if you had the full picture, but you're not getting the full picture because of the avenues in which you're getting some of the information right now. No, I agree there. The, uh, there was a, what was the statement from blizzard like three or four days ago? And that Mm -hmm. was after all the orgs were dropped. I think it was after splice or was, maybe it was after LG loyal and they, and they, uh, they died, but blizzard made a comment (laughs) and it was, it was nice to see a comment. It's nice. But 
from from my perspective, I've heard rumors from like my really in the know friends. I've heard rumors from you know people within Splice. I've heard rumors from all all random all random type of people, and I can tell you that it was never that hey Splice is going to be an OWL or hey Splice has been underperforming. They're going to drop their team and pick up another team. Oh hey, they were going to be in it, but then Kraft was in it. So they got out of it. It's it's none of the above. <laughs> yeah. It's like a it's a combination of everything going on. It's business. So I'm going to give you guys more than you know, but I, I'll stop from where I should sit. I'll stop before I get in trouble. So Splice, and this comes from Noah Winston from Immortals. Not, not he didn't tell me anything. I don't even know the guy, but he had an interview where he was talking about how if an organization is betting their org on OWL as like the thing that it they're doing it wrong because OWL should be just one small subset of what you're doing. Granted the buy-in is potentially five to $20 million, which is a whole different discussion. The point that he was making was you can't be thinking that's the end all end and be all. So if you actually look at splice splice partnered with Delaware North six months ago, five months ago, whenever it was. Mm -hmm. Delaware North is the the parent company to the Boston Bruins. They own lots of casinos, hotels, a lot of entertainment centers. And so right from the get-go, they were pushing Boston, Boston this, Boston that. And then after time goes on, they start going and they have their meetings, et cetera, et cetera. They get certain information. And then the public found out around the same time that Splice found out, as far as I know, that Robert Kraft made a supposed verbal agreement i, I don't even know yeah. at this point right. it's a handshake agreement which is hey yeah i'm gonna do it but i haven't signed anything yet which if if you're a part of business you know that handshake agreements are pretty solid unless you've had a couple bad experiences but for splice for them they will probably be an owl whether it's season one season two but for splice what's more important to them which i can't go into is delaware north um delaware north is going to give them a much grander vision for the Halo team, their WoW team, um, their CSGO team. So they don't care about OWL as much as they care about Delaware North. And for OWL, there was no real reason for them to continue having a team who potentially, if we got a coach, we would keep getting better and better. I know I know for a fact. But there's no reason for them to be shelling out of more than $10,000 a month to keep a team that potentially down the road, once the numbers actually stop fluctuating on buy-ins, they buy in for $8 million for whatever city they're going to do, and then they're going to go with the Blizzard process. Because there are rumors, and I think it's going to be kind of a shit show, that potentially it's not going to be people buying teams. It's going to be, like uh, Matt was saying, you get a coach and you build a team from scratch. Ooh, I'm going to get grim reality and now i want grego and then oh they're, they're <laughs> friends with each other oh I, I want zp as a backup analyst but he's a caster no shower him with money shower him with money like there's going to be it could really be that scenario where there's just empty teams and you're doing it like a fantasy football like i used to do that with madden you just oh i want to choose this guy right. i want to choose that guy right it could get to that point because even though the team might not be good there's a lot of hype around it it might sell a lot of jerseys and that's what, going back to what Matt was saying, because I kind of want to step away from Splice, unless you guys have specific questions I'll try to answer on that, is it's going to take time, and the merchandising, the, the scope of what Blizzard is trying to do is gargantuan. And it wasn't until I we got dropped from Splice where I started talking to some people about some opportunities 
that I realized how huge, just how huge Blizzard wants to make this. And I was not sad when we got dropped. And since then, it's been really interesting to hear about everything going on. And even though it's it's not nice that Dignitas is dead, that Splice OW is dead, that you know these rosters might continue with each other, but you're talking about teams continuing without like salaries, without money to pay coaches, without money to pay, pay analysts, and who do you really think another org is going to pick them up? Like, do you think someone's going to pick up Fnatic right now when Fnatic just dropped them? It's highly unlikely unless it's an org that makes them sign a, a dreadful contract. So, so yeah, let me yeah, let, one let, positive let, about it. One thing I wanted to ask real quick before we move on, just because it's a really good segue that you said there, is that where to in the future for you personally? Because in the past, yeah, you had mentioned exactly. that you were you had interest in being a talent. There was actually uh, some interesting offers you had early in Overwatch, which I don't know if it's past the expiration date where you wanted to mention to it. Okay. But where are you looking towards now? Um, yeah, I was. I had an offer a long, long time ago to be a caster that came out of nowhere. But what I've wanted to do since day one was be a coach and like an analyst type of person. It was when I was with Enigma and Siegel, I almost did it from day one. And the interesting thing there was that Brandon, as everyone knows, he started streaming and he had pretty good, pretty good success. He had a couple thousand viewers. And all of a sudden I remember waking up one day and he had 18,000 people watching. And for anyone that knows how Twitch pays out, there's quite a significant difference between 30 viewers to a couple hundred viewers to a couple thousand viewers to 18,000. And Brandon became his own brand. He Brandon his own brand and like moved on to like his own things. So working with Enigma and working with Siegel and like coming up with like a process where I would be doing analysis and we would be building a team just was like, it was gone almost immediately once uh, he started becoming a huge streamer. So for myself, I, there's one or two teams that want me to uh, try out trial for them, but I'm not really interested that much in it. I want to be a coach or an analyst for a team that dominates. And it goes back to what Flame was bringing up, though, about do you go to a team as a coach or an analyst who's already solidified and then you're just like something supplemental versus being the coach or the manager, bringing in one or two players, and then you're being integral, uh, integral, integral, there you go, a part of it. So I'm taking my time and it's really nice to chill out and it's nice to take some time because grinding for seven to eight months, guys, oof. <laughs> oh, it's just uh, it's worse than a than a real job for me to a certain degree. So uh, I want to bring up the question about a couple of questions actually. One one being um, the environment, the next few months or whatever those months are that lead up to the actual OWL, you know, announcement of season one or just with the full details or even just the beginning of of uh, OWL season one. What is it going to be like for the players right now? I mean, are we in a state where we may see a lot of players just give up on being a pro Overwatch player? It's just because there's not many things to do right now. Or are we in jeopardy of that? You see players quitting right now because of the environment. They were never meant to be a player in the first case. Okay. So uh, I haven't signed any NDAs and I'm on good terms with Blizzard. So I'll just tell you that there's going to be good stuff coming around the corner. And it will be bigger than, say, just like an org competing in a tournament. There will be events. There will be good news coming out. Plans will be unfolding. And when Blizzard is ready to do what they want to do, they'll, they'll roll it out. My hope is that when they do roll it out, it's done well. It's done professional. It's highly organized. And I think people but should be Are we talking about OWL about here or are we talking about other stuff? 
Uh, it's it's not all. It's this game is fa- like much larger than OWL. It's okay. there's going to be other there's other things going on, and p- the people in the know know about it. But it's just not really. I'm I'm not going to attach my right. name to throwing out certain labels right sure, here. But sure. there will be other tournaments. There will be other huge events, and OWL is its own thing, which will which I think Blizzard wants to see as like the premier type of uh thing oh. that's always like looked up to. So okay, if you're a player, man, keep grinding. Um, if you're a player, get on a scrim team. Just scrim. If you're a player, think three or four times about potentially signing a contract right now. But okay. like, play in ranked and watch your VODs. Just keep gaming. So there's this whole talk also about just Blizzard shutting down all the endemic you know, events and things like that. What are your take on that? Because ZP, I know you have a different take on it. Um, you don't, I don't think you have the same sentiments as the general public here. Oh, as far as uh, that going on, I mean, the biggest thing I'd say is that I don't think things happen for zero reason. I would say that I think the idea that people have that there's just going to be a wasteland is a little bit ridiculous. I don't think that even if one thing ends, it doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. I mean, who knows what the plans could be? It's just I, I would have a little bit more faith that Overwatch is a huge property. There's over 30 million players to it. I would expect esports wise that it is going to get very thorough support. I think it's a little bit for people to go, oh, this is happening now. The world is ending because you have a month in 2017 pre Overwatch League that might not have as much stuff going on as you might like. It's very premature. We are at the beginning of something big. We are not, <laughs> people really just tend to over exaggerate the doom and gloom, is I guess how I will look at things right now. Blame what's your take? I mean, it's there's there's like a lot of ways to look at it. There's the first way where you're kind. I'm kind of sadder. I'm like in. I want to say burnt out, but there's like a weird burning out mentality for me right now. Not just from an analyst standpoint, just from like a watching the scene standpoint, where like you see six teams suddenly just not have paychecks all of a sudden, and like that really like hurts as someone who like. I mean, even Brad knows, like, there was a time where I was talking about, like, oh, I'll quit my job. Like, we'll go do this, you know? Like, Overwatch League is still not until, what, like, November? At the Like, most people are, like, shooting around. Probably it won't start until before BlizzCon or whatever they're planning. So, like, that's a lot of time without a paycheck, as Brad was saying. But um, it's just, as far as the orgs, I mean, Blizzard, again, like, Blizzard has their plan. Like, they know what they want. They, like, know the scale that they want. They know the commitment they want they know the kind of people they want to work with they're not shy to like you know say no to people they're not afraid to turn people down for reasons more so than just money and that carries a lot of responsibility at the end of the day for them that i personally like would never want to be a part of you know like it's just but they have but like they have a plan like they have a they have a goal and they have a mission that like they're sticking to and there's obviously going to be some casualties, you know, like that's just kind of how it's working right now. But do you, I do can't you guys, imagine. Do you guys think it's going to start by BlizzCon? I mean, that's mm. not long, guys. That's like, you know, five months, six months from I've now. heard three different dates and yeah. I've heard other unconfirmed rumors uh, about last year too. So I'm not Yeah, last year, last year we were supposed to be going to watch <laughs> <laughs> My biggest impression is we'll see. I will know one thing that where I think there's a both the positive and negative to take a look at with some of the endemic releases I'm going on here. And so I guess here's one way of looking at it is that the teams that did get released were teams that for one reason or another were not getting 
huge results in recent times where Fnatic, of course, has been a bit on a downturn recently in the period of rebuilding. Dignitas probably got the shortest end of the stick where I think they were looking pretty good at points, but there just wasn't the EU tournament to really prove that and keep them as a selling point. LG Loyal has had a very tortured last few months before their breakup and TSM never even got off the ground. So you and Splice, in fairness, uh, Brad, of course, you guys oh, were, part of it. I was, you, I was waiting. I was ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, as far as that, I mean, Splice was just stuck rebuilding for ages. and did not have results. A decent last at. tournament. I mean, so yeah, it, 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 but it wasn't great results. The teams that we have been seeing that have been doing really well are still being kept on by their teams. And if you think about logically, you would have to think that part of it is it comes to the idea that the teams that are controlling those teams are either going to find a way of integrating their org into something based on OWL, or they have enough faith in their players and their brand that they figure that they can sell the team as a unit to a prospective Overwatch League owner. And, or, and who knows if that's how it'll go down, but that's a theory to how things could go down. So I would look at the teams that are holding on to and going, well, there must be a reason why they're holding on to their teams right now and what they're looking forward to. So, I mean, some of these things you can look glass half empty, some things you can look more glass half full, I suppose. So uh, it's not all just doom and gloom, so to speak. No, 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 for sure. And I think one other thing that I didn't even touch on and I should have touched on is that if your contract was going to end, I don't know, next month or something, like say I was on Splice and we had a year-long contract until June, like, I mean, I'm using Splice as the example, but if you're Dignitas or whatever and your contracts were going to expire in August and you did not think that Overwatch League was going to start until then, there's really no reason to hold on to your team, I think, at that point. Because a player would, I think it would be really irresponsible for a player to re-sign an org contract at any point after the summer starts, or even right now. Um, and I think that that's a legitimate thing to take into consideration. I don't think most players should be signing one-year-long contracts at all currently. And most contracts are generally around, six, like, you generally do it for a year, six months, maybe renegotiate, but... That's like another reason to let go of your team if you're pretty convinced that there's no reason for them to want to stick with you at the end of that, just because Overwatch League will have a lot more options for them in terms of money and sustainability or whatever. Well, the other thing, too, is from players in that, on one hand, it, it is unfortunate that maybe you can't get money to support yourself in this time and you have to lean more on family and all the rest. But there is something to be said here where if you are a truly excellent team and you're able to get top level results not being on an org right now could work to your benefit because let's say, you know, say a team like C9, right? Let's say that C9 goes on a crazy spree and they're doing really well, but for whatever reason, C9 doesn't want to buy in the Overwatch League. Well, Jack could then theoretically unload the team to an owner with an Overwatch League spot for whatever the buyout is times six on all those players. That's a really big payday. And as a player, you kind of look at that and go, wait a second, my monthly salary is X and the buyout is way more than that. And the buyout just went to my org. What you could be looking at from the player perspective is that if you could put together a really good team of six people now and do well and whatever events may come up, now you have the situation where you could band together and then go, well, you might be signing us directly and you don't have to pay a buyout. So in that case, how about a signing bonus, which is not actually a term you've seen throw that thrown around all that much in esports, which is very common in every other sport. But I think that's what players should go for. If they're not attached to an org and you want to get uh, into Overwatch League and a team is really interested into you, from a contract negotiation standpoint, that's where you go, actually, yeah, you don't have to pay a buyout, but how about a signing bonus? I mean, there's more money that players could potentially get here if they're able to do well and whatever comes up between now yeah. and Overwatch League. So, Okay, I well, um, 
Why don't we move on to uh, the next bullet point, which is that there's a job opening right now at Blizzard that has a lot to do with just competitive Overwatch. And uh, this is reported by Dot Esports here. They're hiring an esports observer to help improve Overwatch's spectator experience. And just to kind of give you some of the responsibilities, you can kind of see what they are here. But, um, you know, I think some of these things are things we've been talking about, things like spectator and produce content, work with the team, obviously, to figure out what kind of tools will help with it. I think one interesting thing here is evangelize best observing practices to internal and external partners, too. Um, so they're, they're looking for somebody to kind of fill in all these roles. I feel like this should be three people, but maybe they're just uh, having one pose for you know, a lot of positions. Um, I kind of preface this, like at least in our notes, as probably the most or one of the most important jobs right now to find for Blizzard and uh, is, is the spectating because, you know, I've, I've said even last week that I, I feel like the product, we still have a long ways to go with the product. And I want to get your sense, especially the UZP, because you've done some spectating too. Like, how far away do you think we are from the actual optimal or just at least a, a, um, a bare minimum you know, from from the standpoint of quality to be, you know, launched in a big, big, huge league from a spectating standpoint. Okay, well, let's go back a moment and take a look at how traditional sports handle their production, where you take a look mm-hmm. at a Turner Esports, or not Esports, where okay. Turner Sports, for example. Sure. You have your production guy that is always there. You have your camera guys that are always there. And you have all these people working together as a cohesive unit for many, many games over the course of every season. Mm-hmm. And you don't split them up for whatever reason, for random pay reasons or otherwise. You don't have a case where ABC is randomly going to go, actually, we want to grab cameraman two <laughs> right. and four right. from Turner, but we're not getting your producer. Like, no, you have cohesive <laughs> teams that develop here. The, you don't get the stuff what you see in esports where you'll have one event they'll go, uh, we'll bring on some observers, but we'll only bring on just one guy. Or you have another event, they'll go, actually, we're just going to go with all our own people. Or another event, they'll go, uh, we'll get, get maybe three out of the six. Sure, sure. You don't. Ha- you have a lot of instability in the observing scene right now because, yeah. unfortunately, when it comes to budgets in some of the events that have been going on, not only do you have cases where casters don't necessarily get what they're looking for, but casters have a gem deal compared to what happens with observers where many events don't necessarily see the importance of bringing out really good observers, or if they do, there's just, it, it comes down to budgetary reasons, right? Where you just, you can't afford to bring out everything. And the first thing that gets chopped is observing. And that's unfortunate because observing is incredibly important to the Overwatch experience. You need to have very good observing to connect with the viewer and let them see what's going on. If the observing quality isn't there, well, it affects the entire product. So going forward right now to the Blizzard announcement is that I feel like the ideal thing for Blizzard here is that you do get someone in the spot that has a cohesive vision for observing. And then you put together observer teams where as part of the licensing agreements for tournaments, you kind of go, look, Actually, mm-hmm. if you're going right. to run an Overwatch tournament, you do need to bring out this cohesive observing team. You can't just go piecemeal where you have the casters do observing or you you find ways of cutting corners. You need to make it imperative that you get a well-trained observer crew that gets good practice because I know a lot of the people that did Overwatch World Cup observing and a lot of them got to do MLG Vegas. They haven't really had anything to do over the last five months because due to the nature of online tournaments and production, you can't... A few of them have been able to do stuff, but it's been very minimal in opportunities. Right, right. If you want good observing, you have to give these people consistent work and consistent practice. So 
um, pure. I'll throw it the question, same yeah, question to you. Do you really think? Do you think the current quality of the spectating is far away from what we need to get it to for an Overwatch league, or do you think it's already uh, in a state where we could launch a huge league and try to push, you know, all these deals and maybe TV deals and things like that? Well, the interesting thing is that with with Carbon, was I know ZP and Hexagrams went out to Denver for Carbon. And I know the organization that I was talking with about being an analyst or a caster, I don't remember what it was nowadays or mm-hmm. anymore. They wanted me to come out there two, three months before their event. So right now we have Doa and Mani at Blizzard working on the production side of things. Mm-hmm. So your question, how long will it take? Are we far away? I can tell you that we're far away, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Blizzard won't pick up the pace on improving it. And the thing that ZP said, which is that really hits the hits the heart of it, is that you need consistent tournaments or you need consistent practice to tailor it because it's a job. You can't just show up and be the best all the time. It's a skill. You have a knife. You need to sharpen it. You just mm-hmm. can't just co- co- cut some tomatoes with a dull knife. So it's it's a tough situation. We have all these chicken before the egg scenarios and Mm-hmm. I personally feel that it will be okay. Minimum viable product. I feel that when OWL, when the stream starts, you're going to have eight observers in the server, whatever you want to call it. You're going to have a TD. You're going to have production staff. You're going to have four or five cameras, maybe not four or five cameras, but you're going to have everyone in place. And hopefully before OWL, or we, if we're calling it OWL, before <laughs> I know, I, OWL, I, 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 uh, I, think, uh, I really feel like it's called it's owl. Like, like, I understand it's it's a word, but just <laughs> you know, how how long until we yeah. get to the photoshops of owls like just being over over? <laughs> yeah. like, uh, I wasn't sure if it was a meme yet or not. So yeah. <laughs> uh, before OWL, but hopefully before OWL, you'll have some sizable tournaments, some consistent action, and hopefully that'll provide the OWL's Blizzard scenario or situation with some really good content mm-hmm. and staff and. I know that Monty and Doa will probably be the main casters, I assume, but it'll be nice to have a consistent staff of casters and analysts who know what they're talking about, who are able to engage the audience. And then when we're actually seeing stuff happen, because I don't really watch games all the time, but when I I turned on a game yesterday, I was watching Apex this morning, and I just turned the game on, and I didn't know what was going on. It took me like still 12 seconds to figure out, okay, <laughs> this is what's going on there. Easy. This is what's going on with the old situation because it takes you some time because you don't know what skills are being used. So if if you turn on the, the stream and you know they already use their pin and they already use their hook, you'd be like, oh, wait, are they able to push them right now? Okay, here comes the push, yeah. stuff like that. So maybe we'll we'll never see the skills actually on the screen. But to answer your question directly, I have faith that when OWL – the stream starts, the quality is going to be really, really good. And there will definitely be some huge well, issues. I, I don't have any... I'm, I'm definitely confident that everything around the actual game will be tip-top perfect, just super awesome that we even saw the beginnings of, you know, with E-League and things like that. Uh, I'm not worried about that at all. That's completely covered by them. I'm, I'm just still, you know, talking about the game itself. And, you know, you brought up Apex this morning. I freaking watched Apex, or at least I watched the VODs for Apex, and I loved this watching the series. I thought the series were awesome. We were just going to maybe touch on it later. But, you know, I put my just regular spectator hat on, and I'm just like, man, this is hard to watch. 
Like this is very, very difficult when you're watching effects tracer and you're watching, you know, almost every character they show was like shaking and jittery and, and it's like really, really tough to, on an, an average spectator. And right. we I have actually, to figure out those things. We have to figure out ways I, to, to alleviate it, that a bit. There's a lot of different theories on how best to do observing. And I'm not saying any theory is particularly correct or incorrect. I still like, just so people know, as far as that goes, I still think there's a very open debate as to what is the best way to observe Overwatch. How much do you try to catch in the moment versus how much do you do on replays? My philosophy, which is hardly the definitive philosophy, please don't say like, yeah, this is the way to go about it. This is just my usual take on is that I do think for the viewer, it's usually better to just pick one particular viewpoint and ride that and let the casters tell a story and narrative over it versus constantly trying to switch. And there's some tournaments, I'm not going to like name one tournament, one specific day or anything like that, but there's definitely been tournaments in Overwatch where you see the observers kind of go crazy and try and go, we got to catch everything. And if you try and catch everything, you catch nothing because from the viewer perspective, you're not able to follow yeah, a narrative. I, I understand where that. I think there's something to be said for whatever the, general viewpoint is for overwatch and how the camera works is that i would almost suggest a rule along the lines of just limiting how many times you swap the camera per fight because there are some times in tournaments where you'll see the camera just swapping repeatedly over and over again from one perspective to another and you get yeah. maybe six different perspectives in a 25 second fight that is incredibly confusing i think that's if i had to narrow down one thing that should be changed is that you really should almost have a cooldown on how often you swap the camera, <laughs> even if it means that you're missing something, because then yeah. you have a replay squad that could come in, right? Or maybe you don't catch the dragon blade that comes in because you're following the perspective of someone else. But then you come in and the downtime and go, by the way, this is the replay of what happened. And you go from there. Yeah. And then the future you go, maybe let's try and have more foresight and realize that dragon blade is coming up that we don't want to miss. Agree. Right? Agree. Flame, what do you think, man? <laughs> I mean, I'm like a little biased because I've spent so much time working on UIs and TF2, but I think that the, I don't want to say it's programmatic, but I think that you could mm -hmm. right. automate a lot of it, um, at least to help like like a backup plan kind of thing. Because the way I view the game or the way like when I'm watching it, I generally have like every fight, there's like one, maybe like one or two people that like really have to have a good team fight for the for like the attacking team to win. So, like, in my eyes, I think that most of the game should be viewed as offense versus defense as opposed to, like, red versus blue, if that makes sense. It should be viewed as, like, okay, defense set up this obstacle and you have to overcome it. And we're going to watch offense and how they're going to approach this defense. And we're going to check out the offensive players most of the time and, like, take the game one half at a time where, like, the first half you're focused on the one team's offense and you switch to the next and I think every fight, there's generally like, you know what alts are up, you know what alts aren't up. And there's probably like a way to start saying, okay, I, I know that this tag visor has to go well, or I know that this graviton has to go well. And like, that's their win condition. You just keep focusing on those win conditions and then it'll help you create storylines. And then like what went wrong for the push, what went right for the defense or whatever. And I think that like, there's ways to do that, that are very, I don't know what the word is, like you could very easily write a bot almost to do it smoking like an engineer man that's yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah i mean that's exactly. how i view the game and like it might yeah. be wrong but i know i, a lot I, of the I know time, what you mean to what, to what zp's saying mm -hmm. like i was watching apex last week and i got like irrationally mad watching vods because it kept switching between like tracer genji tracer genji different color different color and like the, if you're on the red team the ui still has blue text on it yeah. and like yeah, yeah. 
And like when you get a kill, sometimes the person who gets the kill flickers between red and blue. And it's it's like really, really overwhelming to me mm-hmm. as someone who like, I mean, we came from TF2, right? Like it was the blue team versus the red team and all the skins were blue, all the skins were red. And it was like kind of straightforward in that regard. But when you start me- mixing and matching, you get re- you start really getting confused, like which tracers, which the skins don't match or the skins are matching now because there's no skins in the lobby. But maybe the skin is still like subtly blue in some way on the red team. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of different things in that regard that I want to fix or would like love to help fix. But from a spectating perspective, I think we should generally be watching like the offensive players who needs to come up big and then start talking about like, did they come big or why didn't they? But I don't know. I don't think it's as intricate yeah. as people are making it sound. I mean, I know Dota maybe only has like two or three people. I don't know how much CS has two or three people, but the fact that people are like throwing an eight is like kind of crazy to me. Well, I, I mean, the game just Overwatch as a spectator, like at, from a spectator standpoint, is going to be much more complex. I think than those other two games you mentioned. So, I mean, the problem is a, a bigger issue with Overwatch and programmatically. I think you're right. I think they're is a lot of data that you could be recording and figuring out, you just figure out trends and patterns, right? Especially with the, the, the pro Overwatch. And we see some analytics right now with sites. Some, you know, like Captain Planet does some of these things. But you could go even further and write, you know, certain, it's not going to be scripts. You can just, like, program it directly into the game and, and figure out, you know, where the camera should be going and, and maybe figure out something like that. Maybe they will do that just to at least try to figure out some best practices and things like that. But I, you know, I was talking to Brad last night. And I, I think that you know, spectating and camera work, it's an art. You know, it's a skill. It's something that takes a lot of time to do, and it should require as much work as some of these players put in to playing. Like they should, all the oh, camera people, hundred percent. They no, should 100%. know each of the teams. They should know what the trends of all those players do, and then from there, yeah, kind of go with what ZP is doing. Pick what's going to be the most reasonable and optimal you know, well, things to look at, you know, yeah. going into this map. And this is what normally happens on this map. You know, yeah, this, this character goes crazy. Well, the one thing I'll say about observing too, is that there are some potential tech solutions that could be really, really cool that would make things way easier on the observers. Like my wish list on the number one for me for observing would just be to have a hidden kill feed that is 15 seconds into the future. So for the observers, sure. if yeah, you yeah, see yeah. that a Reaper just gets a quad kill 15 seconds from now, you know that you can actually look at the Reaper as he's setting up. The casters can set a narrative yeah, and then they point. can have a big climax when the Reaper goes in and kills an entire team. So mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, if even that comes in at some point, would make things so much better to observe. And it's not just about the personnel that you get there as much as we talked about, but just tech stuff coming in eventually, which almost certainly will be improved as time goes on is it's a priority. Uh, I think it will make the game look way better. And people will probably at some point look back at old tournaments and go, wow, we didn't have these things and it was pretty rough, but into the future, a year, two years from now, they'll go, things look really cool now. And, you know, perhaps we shouldn't have fretted too much about it back in the day. I want to. I want to just speak against the cheat feed for a second because <laughs> I've had this discussion before in other really? games. Okay. Really? Okay. Really? You don't like and it. Hmm. So, like, one of the problems with it, and this ha- this conversation came up in TF2. It came up in CS even. Is that it becomes too predictable, and like the viewer knows, okay, the Reaper is going to pop off now, and like you have to start adding like really weird, subtle flukes into it to like like you want to see the pulse bombs that miss you want to miss like you know what i mean like if you if you only have really good plays Mm -hmm. it starts making like the viewers bored in some way and like 
you lose a lot of your chat memes. I mean, it sounds dumb, but it's true. Like, you well, want the missed pulse bombs. You want the bad tech visors. You want, like, the barrage into the wall. Like, you, you know, it's like, it adds to the show in some weird way, but there's a lot of, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of discussion to happen there in terms yeah. of, like, I still think you'll get that though, even if you have the advanced knowledge that stuff is going to happen. You're not not every fight is going to have the four kill, just amazing pop off moment. But if you did have that information coming to you a little bit earlier, you would make sure you never missed it. Because as much as what you're saying is true, that you do want to see more flukes and misplays, I would find it difficult to craft an argument saying that you don't want to see the perspective of the player who just got four to five kills, or at least a good vantage point. Well, of it like missing that moment i don't think should happen and if you can create a tech innovation that stops you from missing that moment i it, i feel like it's hard to argue against that well it's kind of like well I'll, I'll counter argument that argue that with just even what pure was saying which was if you miss a, a big play like that you can always go back to and show a highlight of that you know when it's just say both one team's wiped right we're, we're just waiting for them to respawn you could show a quick highlight of that and kind of look through that where you're not going to show a highlight of somebody missing a pulse bomb or or something like that. That doesn't make as much sense. So um, to your, you know, ZP, I agree that it should be shown, but at least there's an alternative for for huge plays like that to be shown versus... It'd definitely be other. a tool that's on staff to have a, mm -hmm. a cheat feed, but the point that Matt brings up is that's something you would run into. It'd be like the first tournament, oh, we have a cheat feed, and then you're always setting up the plays for the viewer. Then you'd be like, hey, guys, it's... It doesn't really work that we're always just telling the viewer ahead of time what's happening. I, I honestly think that a Blizzard should look into having a player within the production staff. Because a player, when they're looking at the compositions, mm -hmm. yep. when they're looking how people are setting up, and there's not many casters. Like, ZP has like gone through the ringer. Like There's not many casters that I would say actually know what's going on and look at the compositions and have a general idea of what's going to be happening. Um, there are great casters who are really good at casting, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're painting a really good picture. So, so there should be an extra bullet. There. there should be well, an so extra like, bullet point that says pro player experience. Is that what you're saying, Rad? Oh, is that no, I, no, I, no, I mean, no, he's not. He's not wrong. Is the no, thing. I don't it's think like, he's wrong either. It's like a weird. He's right. It's a weird balance for like I know I'd be really good at picking who to watch. Yeah, you yeah, know, absolutely. And like, but like I don't want to be an observer, you know. But like someone, <laughs> like you need someone that's like gonna fit that bill. Sometimes that's a storyline that you want to catch there too, where it's sort of a situation where you know one team has three ultimates, the other team has just one. And of the three ultimates you have, you have a nano boost and a dragon blade. From a casting perspective, going into that fight before it even goes in, I'm going to be setting it up and going, and here comes player X, has a dragon blade on the ready. Nano boost will be supporting him. This is the last attempt they're going to get. They're down to 30 seconds. It is up to this player to make this play happen. Now, sometimes you can win the fight with that player completely messing up, but you take a look at all the facts you have going into it. You absolutely want the camera on that Genji in that moment because all the resources are in his favor. The other team doesn't have a whole lot to stop him in that scenario. Yeah. And it's a must win fight. So you can very easily craft a narrative that this Genji needs to sink or swim. Let's see what he does. And then you either have a great moment where Eddie does what he needs to do, or you have a terrible moment of, and he got booped by Lucio into the pit with his Dragon Blade Nano Boost. What a great play by Lucio. Like, either way, you have storylines that weave themselves if you can set things up ahead of time. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I, agree I mean, if you, you occasionally get to watch an Ana sleep a Nano Blade, Nano Blade in Genji. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think through the course of, you know, a cast, you're going to have the Pav on the Genji going in and swiping. And then occasionally maybe it's the end of King's Row where it really matters 
that they stop the Genji and they don't have a trank, they don't have a sound barrier. I would put the cam on the the Ana for at least the moment where you get to see uh, see her sleep or not sleep the target, and then you throw it right back under the Genji who kills the Ana and then like continues with the the kill reset. But yeah, I think we're all. I want, in I want some. Like, yeah, I, did, I, I think we're thinking. all in agreement too. It, it's uh, oh, go ahead, Flame. Last I want one. like if I know a nano boost is coming, like this, and this is like stupid camera tech, but like I want the game to somehow like simulate me becoming the nano boost, where like it starts off at the <laughs> Ana and then like you, it's, the Ana shoots it and then like. Right, yeah. The camera just zooms into the POV of the person oh, that got I see what you mean. Kind of like, and like stuff like that thing. can make yeah. the game really cool to watch, mm-hmm. but I don't think we're there yet. Even built into the algorithm is okay, they're about to use Nanoblade. Is there a trank? Is there a sound barrier to Ooh. to happen there? If there's no trank or sound barrier, you you have to see the sleep. But if there is a trank, you're going to assume, oh, they're going to hit the trank here, so we don't need to watch the Zenyatta. But we need once they hit the trank, what's the the secondary set of ults that have to be used to win? Yeah, the exactly. And you, yeah. yeah, there's a lot. You can, and I mean, just cool. to piggyback on that too, is just you know, creating a brand new way to look at Overwatch too should be. Uh, on the table, it doesn't. Slow motion to... bullet cam. Sure, it, it well. Okay. I, that's a little <laughs> bit. Maybe maybe that's a little. I'm crazy, just saying, like, like it, it doesn't have to be. Well, there, it doesn't have to be the same have, experience. I, as like, look, I would play. I would absolutely love to have a fall the projectile cam for gravitons at points where maybe not as the main cam, but as a replay camera, that would be one of the coolest things possible to see someone lob a graviton all the way across the field, just to see it get eaten by the waiting maw of a diva. That would be an incredible replay cam that not the people watching would be very entertained by just, it it would be good. I mean, the casters themselves would have a lot to work with. So there are some actually cool auxiliary camera work, uh, options that could be experimented with, but it is worth knowing that all of that is sort of the final dressing, right? The uh, cherry on top when well, you're still looking at how to bake the total uh, cake. I'm just but, talking about generally, though. Generally, the concept of we can show Overwatch in a way that's not what it looks like to players that actually play the game, you know, and just really diving into that. And, and you know, we're just think of it as a, you know, that we're trying to display this to, you know, the audience, and it doesn't have to be what the the game you know the proper game looks like it can be just whatever product we want to make it and whatever is going to be best to making this the most entertaining viewing experience possible and that just this that philosophy and they can go they can dive super deep into that if they want it'll take a lot of time i think to really get it to a place where you know you can do some great things i don't think it'll start that way i think it will start closer to you know what we see right now just with some additional tools that can help out spectator folks but I would love to, you know, them to go down that just that deep into it and figure out, you know, something amazing like that. And um, all right, so I'm, I'm going to go off on this too. I had a last had point. A, we got to move on. I had, a professor, at Ruck, I had a professor at Rutgers, yeah. and she was actually the person who like created the technology that puts the yellow line on the football fields during NFL broadcasts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like the fr- the first down. And like, yeah. if you have enough cameras at the same time, you can do like a lot of really cool right. 360 like VR kind of stuff. I guess like rotate around it mm-hmm. and like stuff like that will definitely make the game more like if you get play of the games with like again like the slow motion scatter arrows or something or like some weird multi-angle death on earth shatter like you can do a lot of really cool stuff with that i think yeah. hopefully not a fluorescent hockey puck right whatever that was I mean, I go to hockey games. I don't know what I'm looking at most of the time. <laughs> you're just drinking beer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where the puck is, That's but they're chasing that. Right, right. 
All right. Well, uh, why don't we move on and uh, let's talk a little bit about maybe some events that are going on. Uh, so we've got uh, the Overwatch Monthly Melee that's going to be happening this weekend. The groups were recently announced, and ZP, you're going to be casting that, right? Yep, I'm going to be there. Flame, uh, are you going to be doing it too? Flame is invited. Uh, so okay. He hasn't said yeah. otherwise, so I assume yeah. Flame would be there. Uh, Flame's going to be there. Slash is going to be oh, there. Oh, and then. Oh, uh, and then. Yeah, gotcha, so, gotcha. so right now, as far as I know, it was going to be Uber and JCap, but JCap had something come up, so he's not going to be there. Thus far, casting-wise, it, it is at least going to be me, Uber, and Hex uh, with Flame and Slasher doing analysis. And oh, Slasher is back. Cool. Yeah, is back. He had just uh, real-life stuff come up for last month. He oh, was okay. not replaced or whatever. Right. And this is what I'm telling you, man. People just jump to conclusions. <laughs> and the orange is like, actually, yeah. so... I mean, it's one of those things where people look, they go, Slasher's not here. ZP was eating pineapple and had an allergic reaction and therefore banished Slasher from the month. It's like, no, none of that happened. Slasher is going to be back. And he's been there with us with for basically every monthly Melee. So why wouldn't you have him there, especially this upcoming month? Okay. Yeah, great. So definitely go check it out, guys. It's going to be the last one, at least, you know, for the foreseeable future. So, um, you know, everybody's been a fan. Who the qualifying teams are, so we can get some. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so going. Let's bring that up too. I. Oh no, no, I don't mean the oh. groups. I want to know who the, oh, qualifier the qualifier teams are. We need some drama or something, some hype. <laughs> NRG's in there, right. isn't it? Let, let, let me look in mean, here. Uh, NRG yeah. is going to be one of the qualifying teams. That much is absolutely true. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble right now, but it'd be nice to hear. No, NRG, no, I'm not in trouble. Like, like I'm not in trouble for announcing any of this. Uh, so I think right now, what's again, this is not 100% locked in, but the qualifying teams will be EG, Tempo Storm, You Guys Get Paid, Rise, RNG, NRG and God help us if they play against each other because (laughs) very similar. You just changed two letters, man. Uh, Kangarna uh, is going to be the last team where we weren't sure if we could get them in, but uh, assuming they accept, they would be in. And I assume that is what Brad was driving at. (laughs) No, I I know that uh, one of our players is playing for NRG. So I wanted to see if, uh, if they were uh, qualifying. Okay. They will be one of the qualifying yep, they teams. Are, yep, they are one of the qualifying teams. Uh, so we'll be definitely talking about that next week. Tune in, check that out. Another thing that's going on right now, obviously, is the World Cup. Uh, and some teams like the U.S. are doing some tryouts. A little bit of, I don't know, a l- little bit of controversy yesterday about whether they were going to show it or not, you know, like having public tryouts or not. And in the end, they didn't end up having public tryouts, which was... Kind of a bummer because I, I I don't know I kind of wanted to watch it and just have more of this selection process be you know, more open to the community and just kind of bring in the community a little bit I I like that type of thing going on instead of having complete closed doors and then just boom, boom group stages that's just the last next time we see it uh, but so any thoughts on why not to have public tryouts so I'm sure everyone's gonna have thoughts mm-hmm. to contribute here I mean this is a divisive issue and let me just yeah. say here before I go in on my own thoughts that I fully respect the people uh, like all sides of the argument you can make good arguments on all sides that being said sure. for me if I were on the committee aside from the part where it was a campaign promise and my hands were tied uh, I am still more in favor of the public tryouts here and the reason is is that if you're making the argument that it's going to significantly weaken the U.S. team by doing public tryouts where you're not, you don't even have your final team yet, but you're just in the tryouts phase. And you're going to make the argument that the team is going to be worse and potentially lose because of streaming it. I would argue that, unfortunately, we didn't have a very strong team anyways if something like that would be the breaking point in the team doing well or not. I think that the tryout phase is early enough. 
that you can stream that you can make a community event and you can build a lot of positive groundswell support for it. Because the, the thing for me in the Overwatch World Cup is that it is a competitive tournament, but I also think it's a great bridge to the more casual side of the community to really be a bigger tent and invite more people in the watch competitive Overwatch. And I do think there's a lot of really cool things you could have done in the team building process to really entertain people get let them get to know these competitive players that maybe they don't know because they don't watch the competitive scene right now but they're interested because of the world cup and i do think there's a little bit of an opportunity lost here i understand why players and coaches would not necessarily want it to be streamed because players can get a little bit outrageous on comms when uh there's not a microphone running and all the rest but i do think the good would have outweighed the bad here sure for uh, streaming it flame what do you think Open tryouts or not? Well, I guess forget the open tryouts thing, right? It's irrelevant at this yeah, point. But, um, it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I guess logistically, I, I understand why you wouldn't want to stream it. I mean, it's just, it's risky. Like at the end of the day, it's risky because you're put, I don't know what the word is. Like if you're Kyle and Jason and uh, Stir, like you don't want, Twitch chat or Reddit, like talking about how the tryouts went or who did well or whether or not there was bias in the picks and like all this stuff that like makes a big difference. I think like if you see someone's having a pretty right. good tryout from a perspective of Twitch chat and you're like, Oh, that guy's popping off. Look at all these great tech visors. But then maybe at the end of the day, they're just like not the teammate that the other five players want to play with or something, then it comes into like, there's a lot of discussion there that can happen. And I don't think it's healthy. And at least for the people on the committee or the players, at the end of the day, yeah. um, if you have like a bunch of bandwagoners saying like, Oh, you guys didn't pick up grim, but you picked up red sea. Well, like we watched red sea suck in tryouts. Like, why did you pick up, you know, like you don't want <laughs> yeah. stuff like that happening. It absolutely well, I, happened too. You know, it could happen, but I, I also think, I also think that if you're making your decisions off good logic, there's no reason why you can't make a vlog and go, well, guys, we had this uh, close trout between Grim Reality and Red Sea, and what we ended up finding out at the very end is that there were a few moments where you know you take a look at it, maybe it looked like Red sea had a bad game, but we looked at these other factors that were going in, and we found out that Red sea can practice four times as much as Grim Reality going in, and we have factors X, Y, and Z, and that's why it was very close, but we're putting him on the team over Grim Reality. I, I feel like... You know, sure, whatever. You I'm yeah. just making up a hypothetical here, but I do feel like you could have justified those decisions without a whole lot of just crazy, just what are you doing? How dare you coming in from Reddit? Uh, I don't know. I, it's just, um, it, it is stuff. more pressure. It's more, it's more stuff you have to do. Like, yeah, you could do that, ZP, and it would alleviate the situation, but you would have to do that, you know, where in, in this other scenario where nobody sees anything, you know, it's less maintenance too, you know, even from a PR standpoint. Uh, so you guys are breaking it down, which is nice, but I personally feel 100% <laughs> do not stream the scrims, <laughs> okay. tryouts. E- easy as if that. If you care about winning, winning doesn't care about your hype. Winning doesn't care about the popularity. Winning cares about winning. And if the mentality behind Kyle and Jason and Stir and like some of the key elements of that team care about winning more so than how they look when they're playing, you don't stream your scrims. Like if you stream your scrims, any good player, any good analyst is going to watch it, listen to who the main callers are, think about 
how aggressive they are with their calling and so on and so forth. Mm. So, but you don't even have the final team there, pure. And we're also talking about something that's going on for months and months and months. Are you telling me that uh, streamed parts of something where you're not even dealing with the final U.S. team because you're still mixing and matching everything around is really going to provide a tangible competitive advantage to South Korea in November? I feel like that's a bit valid. of a stretch. The valid point, but I don't agree with streaming. Uh, based on that logic i still wouldn't do it i don't if i was in control of that i wouldn't let any player because you, just because you're saying that like okay twitch chat says retzi is better than grim why did they do that oh we'll take we'll do a podcast and we'll talk about it you're, you're not taking into account like the psychology and how the players react to how certain things affect them certain players react differently to twitch chat to certain people like back channeling direct messaging if you have no access, there's you're limiting that to essentially zero. Like the yeah. players will talk to each other, but the way that it is in the community right now, we have like inner circles where the players don't talk shit about the other players because they respect them and they know that they're good. But anyone who's on the outside has no clue who actually is good or why they're good and who sets each other up. So you're 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 making a valid I, point I, so that it's very limited, but I would still not do it 100. percent Let's just turn the question around. Like, what is there to gain from showing it? Showing what, what the scrims? Yeah, just oh, the show mean, scrims. Yeah, uh, get popularity, get people behind certain players, grow people's twitters, um, get the you like figure out who's going to be start being a part of the team, who's really gelling, and be like, oh, I saw this guy in the tryout. He's playing really, really well. I'm excited for mm-hmm. North America. They destroyed Denmark or, you know, they destroyed <laughs> whoever they're practicing against. So. Right. Well, for me, I would say the benefits would be a transparency in that you're letting people know that it was a fair process where human beings are flawed, right? Where people come in with their own biases and their own reasonings for why they'd want to pick person A over person B. For me, when I came on my platform, I was just sort of like, here's how I'd want to do it. Part of it was just to ensure that people think that, not think, but know that there is transparency and some degree of fairness going in. Like, the, you know, to give an example of the player I go way back with, I think Cool Matt is an excellent player. I think Cool Matt has a pretty good chance of getting onto a Team USA even now. However, if it's behind closed doors and I just say, actually, uh, Cool Matt was the best person in tryouts and put it on the team, there's almost a part there where I feel like I have to answer questions going, well, yeah, I go way back with Cool Matt, but he did really well. There's something to be said where if you have some of this stuff more on the open, it does work to allay concerns that the committee members themselves might be biased, but that's just a small part of it. The bigger part is the idea that I just see the world cup as a really big opportunity to bridge different parts of the overwatch player base. So the more you can get people invested into the different teams and make it a public thing, like for example, Jason's thread on the, our overwatch uh, subreddit, which at times can be difficult to get competitive things on that subreddit. It was getting some real traction there going guys, look team USA is trying out. People were interested in right. it before it went down. So for me, it's more about the bridge to get more people involved in Overwatch esports. I think is a really cool opportunity. And yeah, if you want to be complete min-max, maybe you can envision scenarios where it hurts the team down the line. But I just don't think that showing the team building process, not even the final team, is going to be just a crazy competitive disadvantage. But well, right. don't you think the process, the way the World Cup's going to work with, like, correct me if I'm wrong, they're going to be qualifying online and then going to LAN events in regions to qualify uh, for the main event in Irvine. Am I right? I think it's the other way. I think they just go straight to land for groups. I think it's mm-hmm. the there's way no the yeah, there's no qualifiers. Written. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's no, there's no online portion then, period. Everyone mm-hmm. is, if you are a on right a now. team. Yeah, they're in a group right now. 
Yeah, if you're on a team right now, you're guaranteed to go to a live in-person event where you get to compete against another team. What I what I mean is team, right now, just tell me where the teams are right now. They they choose their six players on Team USA. Do they right. have to compete in a regional tournament or are they just going to Irvine? Is this no, 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 no. There's, there's no, 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 no. There's a group it's in Irvine, though, yeah. for the sake of argument. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's four different regional <laughs> sites. There's four different regional sites where two groups of four will be battling it out. And then the top yeah. two teams from each of the regions then go to BlizzCon, which is in Irvine. It's just kind of confusing because one of the sites of the regions is Irvine, too. But it's, yeah, that's how it works. The two top uh, finishers from the regions go to BlizzCon, the top eight compete there. Well, don't you think that's going to be like enough in terms of hype? Or do you think that like the slow progression of allowing access, I, I guess it just makes sense in its own right. So I mean, it can right. play for a bigger story, you know, like if the right team yeah. that's been followed ends up making it super yeah. deep into BlizzCon, it's a, it's a, you know, crazy great story. Sure. Oh, so, what, there is one other reason for the streaming stuff. And uh, just him talking in chat reminded me of it is that mm-hmm. I also think in the streaming stuff where it, obviously there's back and forth on who would get involved. I do feel like one of the better projectile players in the U.S. still is Seagull. And I feel like at least getting him involved in that process of going, hey, actually, you can stream some of this. It would have been nice synergy. I, I would have made sure that he was the best player for the spot before putting him on, which is why I want tryouts for stuff like that. But I do feel like the way the Team USA stuff has been kind of set up is that it does kind of exclude him from the beginning. Where I, I didn't want to do it anyways. It doesn't matter, right? He didn't want to. I think it's it okay. in it anyway. So, I don't think that's true. So I'll go into, I'll go into two. I, I actually don't even really mind the idea of streaming scrims as long as comms aren't on. Like if I were yeah. in the match watching, or if I was in the server just watching like, from like overhead with comms muted or something like I think that that could that's like completely fine content in my opinion at least in the context of world cup but um tryout process is like so damned if you do damned if you don't I think I don't really think that there was any win win because like to what Brad's saying too is like there's there is a lot of mentality there and there is a lot of like oh I watched this tryout back and I clearly did fine there was like bias here and stuff but like there's always gonna be bias and I don't think any other country is even like having this discussion. I mean, I don't know if Can- I haven't seen like a Canada thread. Like, where's Canada's tryouts or where's Korea's tryouts? Well, I think I mean, Jason Thailand had a thread, it. maybe, but like, I mean, it's because it, it just became more public because of a tweet and you know things going on there. But yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying, like, I don't see any discussion about Korea's streamed tryouts or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just it's, like it's, you have to make the decision. Like, I don't think it brings exposure to anybody but the parties involved that are streaming it. I think, like... Yeah, yeah. Like, Overwatch World Cup is going to bring viewers. I think people... Like, I also get mad at people who say things like, oh, we really want streamers on the committee or whatever because they'll bring exposure. But, like, nobody is not watching World Cup. Like, yeah. everybody Why is it all our job across... to bring exposure to this, too? Or isn't this supposed to be, like, a, a winning event? Aren't we supposed to win this? It's... Yeah, it's. I think winning the event brings a, ultimately a huge amount of exposure too. But it's one of those yeah. things where you hedge a little bit, right? I mean, you can still bring get some exposure out of it, even if you don't win. You know, that, that sort of thing. This is about competition, yeah. isn't it? I know it's a balance. I'm just True. being like kind of like edgy it, here. It's the it, point winning, not like being doing a job that, like, okay, so if, uh, if you could do both, then you yeah, would agree. I mean, I agree. Yeah, but it's in the about, end, in my opinion, it's about winning. winning but yeah. Obviously, some people have different. It should be a. It should be about winning, and I know Jcap like would have streamed it, and then people would have watched, and he would have had seven hundred viewers, and he would have gotten new followers, and it would have been nice. But like, win, like, make a team that's supposed to go over there and just like right. destroy Korea or yeah. whoever the yeah. top three teams will be, Spain, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. win, win. 
Okay. Um, and just for clarity, like some when I said that Siegel didn't want to do it, by the way, I meant that you know he he even publicly said that if if this is going to require a lot of time practicing and things, that he doesn't you know he was it was going to impede on his streaming. So it's not like he didn't want to be part of Team USA. It's just the time wise, it was going to be hard for him. So just want to make sure people <laughs> understand when I said that. Um, so yeah, overall, I think winning is number one. That's what I want to see. I just want to see the team win in the end. But um, you know, just. Uh, definitely an interesting discussion to have. Uh, just to finish out, kind of events, uh, Rivalcade was announced. So Rivalcade Rumble is going to be back on the 27th and 28th. Uh, eight teams announced, invited, and then there's going to be a total of 16. We'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. So I don't want to spend too much on that. But, um, you know, really happy about that, especially when we had this discussion that no more, you know, endemic type of events will be happening. You know, we're still seeing a lot of these, these events still uh, being scheduled for the summer. And then uh, something kind of interesting that we never talk about, which is console Overwatch. And recently, the Overguard uh, was announced, or the Overguard announced that they're starting two leagues. And for those of you not not familiar with the Overguard, it's an organization that um, you know is, has to, a lot to do with the console space. Um, they're going to be, I think, help helping organize. I'm not sure if they're umbrella the umbrella company on these leagues, but they're going to be creating a or helping facilitate a PS4 league as well as an Xbox One league or Xbox League for Overwatch. So that's interesting i mean this is like the first divergence we've seen in in esports where it's, it's platform divergence so uh one of the big announcements they had was that golden boys joined the staff and you know we all know golden boy is huge in the console uh, arenas so that, that's a pretty big hire for them i don't know just any uh, quick thoughts on just console overwatch and it being separate from pc overwatch well first off let me yeah. talk to you about my boy Alex Goldenboy oh Mendez. He is Here a global go. icon and a national treasure. So let's just get that out of the way to begin with. But uh, no, Alex is a great guy, and it's cool yeah. to see him sort of get in and give more publicity to the console scene, which is a scene despite the fact that a lot of people do focus on the PC side of things. So I just think it's a cool project, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we have any numbers on console players and any console competitions? Is one of the coaches that was trialing for us? He was basically saying that the console scene is dead when compared to PC. So that doesn't necessarily mean the console is dead in numbers, but that's something I'd like to see and or with the announcement of these events happening, if that'll like kind of like pump up the scene a little bit to have something to play in. Because I guess prior to this, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we don't have the numbers. I know, that's anything, the so. thing. Like I, I've been trying to get... You know, one of the things that I, I would I was um, wanting, at least for just the podcast that I do, is just to have like a, a a console correspondent. You know, that we could just come and and get an update from every once in a while from the console space. It, it's so hard to find somebody. Like I, I, outside of just a lot of people that play casually and you know, or that are um, you know players from that standpoint, it's hard to find somebody that's an actual expert in the console space. And, well, because I mean, the question is, why would you choose? console over pc if you were gonna go hard in esports less competition i mean as a gamer maybe but yeah from a like analyst or caster or personality standpoint mm-hmm. i think you'd be hurting yourself so players have already transitioned over there's so many people that i run into that were oh you know me yeah, my season one or season two i was trans coming over from console yeah and yeah. now i'm a pc player a one trick 76 at like rank 4100 but yeah i don't know so this could be a little niche, you know, that's within the Overwatch space, but uh, <laughs> my, I think it's kind of cool that they're, they're starting that, and they, they'll help develop it a bit. Obviously, OWL, I don't think will have anything to do with the, the console space, at least maybe for a long time. 
but very cool anyways. Uh, let's see, lastly, well, maybe lastly from the event standpoint, uh, you know, Apex happened. What Apex, did you watch the last Rogue matches? I don't want to talk about Apex too much if, if a, a bunch of us didn't watch Apex, especially this morning, because uh, did you guys watch the Rogue versus KDP? Yep, yes. Okay, uh, so why don't we talk about that? Uh, this is, this was, uh, you know, Rogue's second match in season three uh you know them them winning the first one of course so this was a you know if they win they advance type of game uh and spoilers for those you didn't watch give you like two seconds spoilers rogue ended up losing to kdp 3-1 here and uh, a lot of the games were super close and i i feel like it's safe to say that they should have won. <laughs> like I know Flame. Like I, I feel like every time we review, you know, uh, Apex matches, like y- you always say that that these teams should have won because they should have done this something better. But this one, I felt like was even another level where it's like, man, they had it. They had like game. They had certain games like right there, and they just, you know, I, I think lost in very key moments that they had advantages in. So I kind of want to get y'all's opinions on it and um, start with you, Flame. Like, what do you think? I mean, KDP. I think last season people were talking about Uncia for so long for some reason and i felt like kung panthera was like the better yeah. of the two always right. and i thought that they were gonna make a crazy deep run um but this season they look so much more refined and this season their dps players are just so much more standout and everyone's just playing really well and you can tell how well they're coached or at least how well they're disciplined because they always switch heroes they don't care if they have all like they're just like we know we need to go reinhardt right now and mm. that's the game plan and we're going with it. It doesn't like, I don't care that I have Primal Rage. I don't care that I have Rez. We're going to switch to Zenyatta. And it's like, it's smart play. And they're one of the few teams I think really, really sticks to it. Um, I mean, I watched all the VODs obviously, but it really did come down to like, we're just going to switch to Reinhardt on the last point of these maps. We're going to hit yeah, Shatters and we're going to win. And like, that was literally what happened. I think on two, yeah. Numani had happened and it happened again on Route 66. And you could argue that um, Rogue could have won Oasis, and you could argue that maybe the triple support attack on Hanamura was a little <laughs> crazy, but like just the sheer fact of like we're gonna go Reinhardt Roadhog here instead of Winston Tracer is a huge thing. Like it's like it, it's really simple, but it made uh, the world a difference for them in those matches, and like that's just why they're so good right now. Now, one thing that I think is just a quick follow-up here, you're saying Earthshatter was a big deal here. Let me just ask you, Earthshatter is on the chopping block to get uh, nerfed. Do you think that's going to affect things going forward in that sort of situation? I mean, I don't know what the word is. Like, you can play around Earthshatter, right? Like, it's not like, oh, we we're, we don't play around Earthshatter or whatever. It's just like, you have to eliminate the Reinhardt. I don't think it, in the times where he hit it, I don't think that the nerf would have really affected it. You know, like I think at the end of Numbani, he hit both supports. I think at the end of Route 66, I don't even know that he really even needed to hit a big one. He oh, just yeah. hit like a game closing one. Um, it's just conceptually like there's not a lot of counters to it, right? It's like either you kill the Reinhardt or you're not in the Earth Shatter. There's no, like, there's nothing else if you're not running specific heroes. And I think it caught Rogue with their pants down like one or two times, like Wins and Unko both got shattered on Umbani, and then like you just lose from there. It's I don't know. It, I don't I don't think nerfs are gonna change that. I think Reinhardt's always gonna be a really good closer, just the way Zarya is always a really good closer. Yeah. The same way like Nanoblade's a really good closer. It's just it is how the game is and Rogue needed to adapt or maybe switch their own Reinhardt or something just to make sure that they weren't so vulnerable to it. Yeah. Pure, what what's awesome. your take on that, Matt? That's my 
this is where like a player mentality is different than maybe like a caster mentality in that they lost because they're not ready to, in my opinion, they lost because they're not ready to win yet. Meaning even if they did like eke out these victories, mm-hmm. it would still mean they're at the, the same level in my head, like in my head where it's okay. Now they're running into teams who are really mechanically gifted compared to, or the teamwork is, is really sound compared to most North American teams. So when we play them in the tournament, I'm going into a situation. I see what's happening. I see what's unfolding, but our teamwork isn't there yet. So there's nothing I can do to help out my teammate who's getting mauled by a diva and a Genji. It's just already over. So, I mean, they're running into teams that are really mechanically gifted and this is going to make them much better. It's actually scary that they lost. In my opinion, the fact that they lost right now is better than them losing down the road. And obviously at Apex, you can't lose a lot of matches because you don't make it into the elimination portion of it. But I think that Rogue is the type of team that will look at this and get even stronger from this. There's all these types of situations in tournaments where you lose in the right time, mm-hmm. like then losing at the wrong time. Yeah. So that said, I really, really still hate Apex's group format because I think we're at yeah. a situation where Rogue, if they beat Lunatic High, there's going to be like a three-way tie where all the right, teams yeah. have two yeah. wins, but it comes down to like who won more maps. Exactly. And like Rogue actually can't lose two maps to Lunatic High, and like I really, really dislike that. Well, I, I, I would say the biggest thing for Apex is that it, they're locked into having all the matches on TV. I mean, it would be nice if you had more games played, and perhaps it's just the, I would say if there's a flaw in Apex is that it's not as many games getting played as perhaps it should be because you're locked in by the TV format, and it's also done over a really, really long period of time. I mean, it, it has its ups and downsides, but certainly that can make for some weirdness in the group. I, I think they could still do different formats, even with the same number of matches played. Oh, but, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they, they could have mini brackets within each groups and things like that, right? Like GSL style. Um, but uh, I agree. I, I think, it, I mean, they just happen to be in a group, too, that you know, there's three strong teams in the group, and somebody is going to get screwed over and uh, you know unfortunately um you know the next team or at least if if rogue loses the next one they're gonna get knocked out right uh it's interesting that you mentioned that though pure that you think it's better for them to lose now than maybe eke out a victory and i don't know you think they would you think they would would trick them you think they would uh, like mentally be be fooled into thinking that they're better than they are uh, it's the way the group is set up and the fact that they can get sent home so quickly. They're definitely not doing mind games to that effect, but yeah. it's a really hard group. And statistically speaking, they were bound to lose to one of those teams. So it's, I would say it's better to lose with your fate still in your hands than it is to lose and then just get washed out of the tournament just by maps or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, any other thing that stand out, like anything that you felt like, Oh, you know, like just, that right there like if if rogue just would would have done this it would have been a completely different outcome and it would have been just overall much better for them i i would say the biggest thing for rogue that i'm a little bit uh suspect on and hopefully they prove us wrong as time goes forward because it would be good to see a western team go deep in the apex which of course envy might be able to do it as well but uh you take a look at where rogue is right now you look at Rogue's dominance in the Western side of things and the North American tournaments have been going on like the Overwatch Monthly Melee and others, a lot of their dominance came with basically running the same standard Mm -hmm. composition. And I just don't know if you can win Apex running just one thing the entire time 
at this point in 2017, where maybe you could get more mileage out of it before, but Korean teams are very adaptive. They have some of the very best coaching in the world in terms of taking a look at what teams are doing. I do think that Apex in general is kind of a make or break moment for Rogan showing, okay, well, you can run this particular dive really well. What else do you have in the tank to be a more versatile team and get through some of the curveballs that might be thrown at you? I guess to that point, it's it's weird, right? Like Rogue's just been kind of winning, at least in the Western scene with one composition, but they go over there and they lose. But you'll you'll notice too that like their alts actually weren't even really that great Mm-mm. in terms of like when they use them and like should they have used them, but they still win fights anyway because of just how much damage that team is able to do with like Unko Zen and Tracer or Sunon okay. Tracer and stuff. It's like they win fights they're not supposed to. And I remember watching, it was like the end of Route 66. I think soon got hooked or like deleted by a Roadhog, like two or three pushes in a row. And then suddenly like, I think Unko and Wins ulted. And I was like, what is going on here? But then suddenly the next fight soon doesn't die and he gets like a 2K and they win anyway, even though they just didn't have support ults. And like, that's what makes them really scary is I think just like the carryability from all their players. I'm not sure how much it'll matter, how much you counter shot them. Like, cause there is an alternate universe where maybe they don't hit those crazy shatters or maybe a Winston bubble blocks them and they could have like won games that way. Or maybe they even go to game five because they don't lose Oasis to like that crazy individual Winston play that like over stall over time. But KDP is like the best team over there. I think right now, I don't think that anyone's really going to argue that. Um, okay. They lost lunatic high, but lunatic well, high, like should have beaten them or like, they should have just 3-0 Lunatic High quickly. Yeah, it was and a then, like, sweep, right? There's like an alternate universe where that happens. So I think that they're on a different level right now. I I mean, I, I think Rogue matches up way better against Lunatic High. So I do expect that oh. to go in their favor. But okay. I guess I agree with Brad, too, that it's like way better to lose early than to lose late. But The um, interesting thing for, for me and Lunatic High going forward, and this is a... Uh, really recent in my mind because uh, Hex and I are going back and we're really recasting everything in Apex to get an even more in-depth understanding of it. Because there's like such a difference between watching a VOD and actually just recasting in terms of your engagement. But we were actually reviewing the old uh, Luntakai uh, KDP uh, VOD just yesterday. And it was just interesting, the insights that you really get from Plucan. The number one thing for me is just what makes Kong do Panthera scary is that what their DPS do, in particular, what you see from Rascal is just, it's horrifying how good he is and yeah mm-hmm. even though you can make the argument that the tank support core of Luntakai is better or just more well-tuned at points the dps potential coming out of kongu panthera is just outright scary at times okay well that's going to be a big matchup i forget what day that's going to be um but definitely tune in ogn global to check that out this morning there was a pretty epic uh, game too. If you guys didn't catch it between Envy and Meta Athena, uh, we're not going to talk about it given that. I think I might have been the only person that watched it, but definitely go and watch it, guys. It was, a, you know, it was definitely a, something that I think all most of the competitive community is talking about, especially on Reddit. And we'll talk about it next week once everybody uh, takes a look at it. Um, last bit of news is non esports related. I figured we would talk a, just a little bit. Season ends for this current Overwatch season, competitive season. Uh, on the 29th so try to get all your matches in kind of get your highest ranking if you can and uh, there was a cool infographic that was released of just uprising that i thought was pretty cool had some interesting stats or just kind of fun stats 0.6 
points. Like what? That's my favorite number. That was the percentage of times that a person went into legendary and won. 0.6%. Points. Oh yeah, 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 I saw that. Let me see, let me see that. They, they had a they had yeah they had a breakdown of these things right average win rates and highest win rate of legendary only too. <laughs> That's crazy. You guys finished the standard legend legendary one right with uprising. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so anyways, check this out. It's uh, over on the play dot, uh, playoverwatch.com site, and you can check it out. All right, we've got a couple questions for Q&A here, but before we do, I want to give a quick shout-out to all the folks that listen to the overview uh, via iTunes or Google Podcasts or SoundCloud. A lot of people don't, don't know that the, this podcast is available there. So um, one way you can help us out is by, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, go and leaving us a five-star rating because it helps when folks are trying to look for Overwatch podcasts. They can find us a lot easier when it comes to the SEO there. But I do want to give a shout-out to the last one that we got from Newbie. Uh, you left a nice message as well as a five-star review. Thank you so much for doing that, guys. And uh, want to go into Q&A now. So we've got a question from Mark M. He asks, uh, with OWL coming up and all these sponsors dropping their teams, won't this open up the ability for a very rich AAA league situation in tournaments? Uh, OW sounds like it's going to be starting with minimal teams. Once it begins, do you see other tournaments coming online like um, OMM returning or will that not be allowed by Blizzard? So this kind of is a little bit different than what we talked about earlier, but I guess once OWL is in full swing, do you guys seeing? Do you guys see? Uh, I mean, maybe Brad, you alluded that there's going to be other tournaments that are going to be very strong storylines too, and it won't be only OWL going on in terms of the pro Overwatch scene. Uh, but do you do see any kind of developmental league type of thing, you know, popping up, or maybe some of the tournaments that we know of right now will become like more of those development grounds? When you say AAA, you mean like yeah. right below, like premier level? What does AAA mean? A AAA is like minor leagues, you know, like yeah, it's, you know, it's the highest level of minor league yeah. baseball is the okay. example. That I wasn't sure. What, um, uh, I don't know the timetable. I just know that on the meetings that some of the pros have had with Blizzard, that there are plans for there to be an array of skill level, different skill levels of leagues. I don't know what okay. will actually get rolled out, or when it will get rolled out, or how it will get rolled out, but all the information that I have gotten is that Blizzard is absolutely doing what they should be doing. Long time ago on my stream, I said like they should absolutely have like five different tiers of competition that are internally taken care of at Blizzard that are all have prize pools and allow players who are platinum level to have some type of organized competition all the way up to the premier level. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that would just foster competition and the growth of OWL and the amount of cities that are involved. Mm -hmm. So I don't know uh, all the uh, different tournaments, but okay. I from, mean, that's good. To what know. I do know it's supposed to be get, getting pumped up a little bit. Okay. So I had this conversation. I don't know. I had this conversation. I think it was a PAX, which was like, I think it was 2015 actually. Right. Overwatch, uh, no, it was 2016. It, it was a, it, <laughs> time flies in Overwatch. Or it, <laughs> no, 20, no, no. It had to have been pre. Was I at the meeting that you're talking about? Because yeah, but wasn't that wasn't that in the summer? That or was wasn't that in like wasn't that like during closed beta? That was during closed. That was last year, in like May. That yeah, it was in like March of last year. Oh, it, was it was March. It was March. It was March. Yeah, okay. it hasn't been two years as as much. No, as no 2015. Like well, well, closed beta started in 2015, I think, right? Yeah, yeah closed beta started in yeah, late so 2015, I've... and then yeah, yeah, yeah. you you 
go forward, PAX East is only in the early part of the year. So, yeah, it, it, it had feels to be, well, yeah. whatever. We're on with that. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, point, is, the point is, is what? Okay, we don't care yeah, what it was. I thought, maybe, was I thought maybe it was like right. November, December timeframe, not March, but it, it, it's brought by three or four months. It's fine. Um, they had this discussion. This was like when they were talking about like the scale of like what they were looking at. And I remember thinking, I remember asking the question like, because they made a com- they made a comparison to real sports, and I was like, you can't compare it to real sports because real sports like kids go to elementary school, they play football and soccer and basketball. Like kids go to high school, they compete high school, like basketball, soccer, all their sports. And I was like, is this like something that you're even like considering? And I think like it wasn't outside of the scope of like you know it wasn't like a no. It was like a yeah, it's definitely on our radar. So I would be interested to see how that works or if they do decide to take it to that level, like how big they do plan on making this thing, because I think that there is definitely a driver somewhere to get like kids as young as 10 playing video games, like as a like a high school Overwatch league, yeah, like a high school Overwatch <laughs> league, like a college Overwatch league, like yeah, similar yeah, to Tesla. Yeah. I think stuff like that is a, like a very legitimate idea or even like travel teams i mean it sounds dumb and it sounds dumb in theory but like it could be a thing and i think that that's like a huge like there's like a market there that hasn't really been explored oh, for video games, yeah. I think. especially college there's a huge market in the college space that i feel the like is still that I would, not tapped into the biggest thing i would just note there is just if you go back to the original overwatch league announcement video the big emphasis on the video was that you had the crusher 99 story which has of course been memefied into oblivion now but the general idea was <laughs> that people could play the game and then find a way of becoming a competitive player in the game and find a way into overwatch league and theoretically you would need other things other than overwatch league if that was to be a reality you can't just have a closed door system so who knows what you know is could be potentially done i guess there's a good way of putting it but i I wouldn't think that you're in some sort of doom and gloom situation like there's a lot of things that can be done to really be inclusive and get more players playing the game yeah there's um when we were at the boot camp in cape cod there was actually an event called the seacrest smash where splice held a smash event but then we actually had like overwatch coaching sessions we had like 20 probably kids between nine years old i mean no, no kids like seven years old up to like 25 coming in and they were like 1v1ing with us and there were like four or five kids who we played with and we showed them how to play the game they got better right in front of us and they actually stick uh stuck around to watch us play in the uh the rival kid rumble groups and we're just eye locked um the other thing i'll tell you is that my nephew and my nephew and my niece who come down to florida like every other christmas they play consoles, they play mobile phones, all that types of stuff. But they know from my parents and my brother that I'm, I've been a gamer. And so whenever they like see me, they're like, hey, let me play that game. So like what I used to do when they would come down to Florida, I would put Team Fortress 2 on and just like limit the controls and be like, yeah, just go play heavy. And they would they, literally, he would play heavy for like heavy weapons guy for like two hours. And then he'd be like, oh my God, that's the best thing I've ever done. And... The, I think one of the issues is entry into PC where in the past you need like a $2,000 computer, but it's getting more and more the case where these companies are making these cubes, these small little computers that you can carry around, which operate the game well enough. Aren't that great for like a real pro or like a, someone who wants to do some like multimedia stuff, but with computers getting less and less expensive, 
and the possibility of there being like real world land centers where like you can go watch pros or like you can start watching grim reality of whatever city it is and you're like yeah. oh my god i want to be a mccree like him there's just like matt was saying it's truly it's interesting if, if it clicks and if people respond well to it and it's well funded you're off to the races. $20 million will be nothing. will be yeah. nothing compared to what's out there. Absolutely. I just have to say real quick is that how much do you hate your family that you're not introducing them to the true church of the scout and instead you're making them play <laughs> the on, <laughs> Treat your family better. <laughs> true, true, true. All right. Uh, let's see. Ab, Abud D asks, uh, ZP, specifically for you, said on Reddit that he will have a busy summer. If you can disclose anything about that, does that mean any upcoming tournaments or something else? The most I could say is that everything is in flux about that. Like people ask <laughs> okay. about stuff like months and months in advance. Whatever might be coming up or what isn't coming up, can't say. But uh, I'm excited about the summer. I will say that. All right. All right. Uh, other than that, you know, uh, th- I think that's going to be it. We'll probably wrap up here. It's been a long show. It's been two hours, solid two hours. Um, one thing, I guess, before we do some shout outs here, I just want to remind everybody that next week is the one year anniversary of Overwatch. Uh, what, you know, we'll be doing obviously the overview before the actual day, which is on Wednesday. But um, pretty amazing, man. It's been a year. <laughs> you guys were just talking about like the March and you can confuse that it's been a year or, or when it was. But it's crazy that it's like a blink of the eye, a blink of an eye, and it's already been a year. Crazy. It's been, a, it's been a long time. And the thing I was trying to get out there, but everyone was talking at the same time, is that especially when it comes to online esports, it really does feel like you're in some sort of like insane form of the hyperbolic time chamber where <laughs> what is a single month at times can feel like three to four months or what is a year can feel like five years. It is pretty crazy how quickly things can change, where roles can change and where people can find themselves in the span of a short 12 months. It is kind of nutty overall so it's exciting though too because there's a lot of opportunity going in there's a lot of cool things that appear to be taking shape so i I gotta say that i'm bullish on the rest of 2017 and extremely Mm -hmm. bullish on where things go heading into 2018 when we're hopefully having the same conversation one year from today bye 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 yeah absolutely that's what they're that's what they're hoping for right now is bye 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 uh just to all the potential owners out there uh but want to do some shout outs pure awesome having you on i mean i think this was a fantastic episode and getting your insight and perspective on everything has been on great we should have had you on a long time ago this is yeah blown opportunities having you on them you know a bunch of times but any shout outs you want to do where can people find you oh uh shout outs just check me out on twitter p-y-y-y-o-u-r Besides that, I don't know. Enjoy uh, Apex going on. What else is going on, right? Are there any other tournaments? Ravelcade Rumble, OMM. Check it out. Watch it. Go harass ZP in the Twitch chat. That's all I really got to say. <laughs> we missed Ravelcade doing a land series. We didn't talk about that. But the Atlantic City. Oh, yeah, yeah the Atlantic City thing. Yeah, well, we can talk about that next actually. time. Yeah, well, we'll it wasn't Overwatch specific. They said they might have plans to do Overwatch there, yeah, but it that's doesn't. True. Like, I mean, who knows what is actually a where that's going i guess so yeah, it's i just feel like there's not enough info. So we'll keep it where it's going you know is <laughs> <laughs> a very i know atlantic city is polarizing uh, it's a very polarizing yeah. well place. i will say that atlantic city is one of those things where like as like atlantic city and uh, i mean atlantic city this is upsides i suppose budget vegas yeah the, i was Kinda. going to avoid saying budget vegas but yeah but it's got vegas. a beach it's got a pretty good it's beach, beach but mm. that's it all right flame shout outs where can people find you uh, i mean shout out to my community 
we we tried we lost the <laughs> nominations but we gave it our best and um i don't know i guess that's all i have right now uh, just everything's just kind of going right now like it's been a year like i i only started streaming a year ago and i had like an 11 month resub yesterday and i was like oh my god like, <laughs> It's awesome. time's just going really fast right now, and it's a little overwhelming to me. It's in some ways, but I mean, there's still a lot more. I mean, how big was your Discord a year ago? <laughs> I, exactly, like ten people. Now ten people. I'm now like breaking like ten. I'm 10, I'm at like thirty three hundred or something, and it's kind of sick. But yeah, thousands of people now. It's crazy. With great power comes a lot of memes. <laughs> <laughs> ZP shoutouts. Uh, shout outs. I mean, same as Flame. Uh, thank you to everyone who supported me for uh, World Cup. It didn't pan out, but uh, thank you guys nonetheless. I think I said that last week because we had the results there anyways, but why not double down and say that again? Uh, of course, shout outs to Flame and Pure for joining us on the show. Uh, great insight as always. And yeah, you know, like I said, excited for 2017. Uh, thank you guys for tuning into the show and you can follow me at Twitter at TempoZP. And I'm pretty much sold out here. Sold out on sellouts. <laughs> uh, and I'll wrap things up. Thank the three of you guys for doing this awesome show and everybody else that's been watching this entire time. You can check out the VODs on youtube.com slash if you missed any of it. And I'll try to get that up as soon as possible. Everybody else that listens to the audio, again, you can find it on iTunes, uh, on Google Podcasts, as well as SoundCloud. Just look for the overview. And I'll get those up tonight, too. Uh, now I'll have a special streamer showdown that, an announcement that I'm going to be doing soon for Overwatch. So keep a lookout on that. It's going to be pretty hype. But until then, that's going to be it for the overview today. So for Pure Flame and ZP and myself, Chain MV, we'll see you next week. Later. <laughs>